Hello and welcome to Cherry Sam number 30. And before we begin our podcast episode, a holiday-ish edition uh, based on food, family, fun, and fasting, uh, let me take your attention for a moment and direct it to the page that you are looking at, which is patreon.com slash Anna Cherry. This podcast is brought to you by listeners such as yourself uh, and mostly by patrons. And if you'd like to support our endeavors and get awesome goodies as a reward, I would recommend the Challenger tier. Now those images for Challenger and Hardcore may not be very recognizable because Patreon is working with me. The trust and safety team is working with me to make sure that no children are offended by the pictures that you see before you. Uh, so the Challenger and the Hardcore images have been replaced, but in my heart, that's what they are. And so I will continue showing that to you guys. Um, I would recommend the Challenger tier. You get involved in an after show uh, hangout with us uh, where we go over some special articles that we don't cover in public chat in the podcast. Uh, but patrons get special access as well as a video convo chat with us, um, covering anything, any questions, or anything else that might have come up during the podcast. It's a good time. Check it out. Do it, if you can, without hardship. I would highly recommend it, and it really helps us out. Patreon.com slash AnnaCherry to support this podcast. If you would like to donate to the stream directly, you can support the stream on streamlabs.com slash AnnaCherry. We currently do not have YouTube monetization. We do not have Super Chats. Um, if you want to stick it to YouTube, this is a great way to do it. Um, go to streamlabs.com slash AnnaCherry. If you want to donate and have your uh, questions or comments read out loud during the chat podcast, go ahead and do it. All right. Now, with all that out of the way. We might have to add another little circle there for... Uh... For sure to hear. I was already thinking about that. Yes, we, we are uh, in the process of being adopted by, by a feral kitten uh, who doesn't act like a feral kitten uh, whatsoever. And that's that's a, that's a story for another time, but that's why the podcast is 18 minutes late um, right now because he was, uh, he was getting in my way when I was trying to prepare all the stories. So, uh, all right, um, let's get... Let's just jump into... <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get into it. Um, so the, the the topic today is essentially uh, my way of uh, kind of covering the Thanksgiving. Uh, we weren't able to do a stream uh, before Thanksgiving, so this is post-Thanksgiving. And, and I'm sure you guys have stuffed yourself full, and, and you, you probably feel like you couldn't eat another bite, and you probably shouldn't. And we'll talk to you about why. Um, fasting is perhaps the fountain of youth, uh, according to a CNN article. Um, it is perhaps that. And, and there's some really compelling research to, to back up that theory. Uh, of course, there's also things like emotional eating, um, dealing with you know holidays, family, food, stress. All of that sometimes can be a, a ball of um, a mess. And uh, we'll all go over some strategies on how to curb emotional eating, which leads into an idea of willpower. And that is an article that I will be saving for patrons. We'll be talking about the limbic system, the prefrontal cortex, the driver and the passenger, um, and things like that. So that should be uh, an interesting article to cover in the after show for patrons. But during the show, we'll be talking about food, fasting, um, family, how to deal with family, 
um, and also how to have fun and how to sort of deal with the seasonal affective disorder. Uh, we'll go more into that around Christmas time, uh, maybe, you know, in December um, podcasts, but uh, we'll, we'll do a little primer today. Uh, but mostly I'd like to focus on how to navigate family situations and fasting and food. So post Thanksgiving, pre uh, Christmas mix, melange. Um, so that's what uh, we're going to be doing. Um, so let's begin, I suppose, with uh, gluttony. <laughs> so, so we'll be covering the seven deadly sins. Now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be covering gluttony and fasting. Um, so uh, essentially, how do you overcome emotional eating and take back power with food, especially during the winter times when it is cold and uh, there have been um, studies done to indicate that when people feel cold they also feel socially unloved there is a connection between the the warmth and being warm in your body and feeling a social connection um did you know that your temperature regulation is related to uh, cap opioids well of course it is <laughs> it makes perfect sense I, yeah it? because heat tolerance of course it yeah, would be exactly uh yeah so yeah there you go um essentially in the cold winter months, it is especially important to come together with family and community, which is probably why we do have all of these uh, winter holidays like uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, etc. Um, and uh, the downside of that is, though, when you don't necessarily have a strong social connection, which that's pretty much the case for most of us in, in, in the Western world, in the, in the modern world, we are fractured <laughs> and not whole at all. Um, we essentially end up um, being very isolated, little islands onto ourselves a lot of times. And um, it's more in the rural, I would say, uh, more undeveloped communities even, um, where you have a more communal um, attitude and people come together and help each other out because people are not as individualistic culturally, but they're also not as self-sufficient in terms of finances or what have you. So a lot of, you know, um, farmer societies or third world societies, you end up having people come together a lot more. And it's sort of a, a byproduct of our civilization is that, and, and the social media, internet, et cetera, that we're kind of islands onto ourselves. And it's sometimes difficult to connect, especially in the, the current very divisive climate. Uh, you know, if you, if you don't agree with someone on one tiny little thing, then, you know, you feel like it's okay to exclude them and, and people don't feel like they belong anywhere. And it's, it's kind of a problem, really. So we, we do end up having a lot of emotional overeating uh, because we do help ourselves with food. That is a comfort. Uh, and a lot of that um, essentially goes back to our childhood, I would say, um, or at least some of the uh, arguments in this article um, seem to agree with that as well. So some quotes here. Uh, of course, uh, Peter Devries, Devries? Devry. Um, gluttony as an emotional escape, a sign something is eating us. And uh, of course, there's also the uh, emotional sort of intensity of um, loneliness and and we get compelled really strongly sometimes to, to, to eat and to go for comfort food. Like, if you, I'm sure all of you have experienced this when you're not so well off or, or you're sick or um, you have had a bad day and you think about what to eat, your mind goes to a comfort food place that probably links to your childhood and uh, things that were given to you as a reward uh, like sweets by family or special occasion meals that were baked. Uh, usually it's, you know, carbs, fat, 
um, salt, all of that really dopaminergic good stuff that uh, we tend to seek out in excess when we're not feeling very well. And the intensity of that desire, of that craving for comfort food uh, can be abnormally strong. And that comes from the emotional need. Something else is behind it. So San Francis de Sales quote, uh, or de Sales, or however, I'm apparently bad with all these names. Uh, the spirit cannot endure the body when overfed. But if underfed, the body cannot endure the spirit. And of course, we have good old Proverbs. Better to eat a dry crust of bread with peace of mind than have a banquet in a house full of trouble. So there's, uh, throughout time, we've, we've associated eating and overeating uh, with emotions and uh, something eating at us. Um, and of course, there's ways to, to deal with it. Um, a good way to start off, if you have an emotional overeating problem, is to write a list of foods that you're drawn to and then um, go over whether they're healthy or unhealthy. And in that case, you still have your comfort foods, but you can limit it to the ones that are slightly on the healthier side if that is something that you do have in your, in your list of options. Once, once you write it all out and actually look at it and see the level of unhealthiness that there might be, or come up with alternatives that you actually do like that happen to be healthy, that would be a great way to start uh, course correcting into a, a healthier direction if, if food and overeating or emotional overeating is, is a problem uh, for you. And of course, there's chemical imbalances. That, that's a big thing. And a lot of times I, I would say the chemical is dopamine <laughs> that is imbalanced, a mix of, of dopamine and serotonin, of course. Uh, and uh, your gut bacteria affects what you crave. Um, and things like exercise change your mental state, which, you know, has all sorts of uh, effects, downstream effects. Uh, so you can actually change what you crave based on diet and changing your diet, uh, based on exercise and then changing your diet uh, in the first place. So it, it's a bit of a feedback loop sometimes that you have to just sort of break, which I understand can be difficult when you're under emotional uh, duress. And... Um, a good way to really get to the bottom of things of what is going on so so the food side is is one aspect of it you can write out the foods determine which ones are healthier and, and try to stick with those when you're you're, you're feeling cravings and a big deal also is always when you're shopping it's what you buy that is important so first off i mean everybody should already know you don't go shopping when you're hungry good point because you'll buy uh, the shittiest possible foods and uh, uh and then just make sure that you just don't have access to the things that you don't want to have access to instead of relying on you know uh, bullshit ideals of uh you know um, self-control and things like willpower that, which are, yeah willpower we'll talk like, about that because <laughs> sometimes you're going to be at lower willpower points it's just mm -hmm. like you know when you're shooting a, a bow and arrow or a gun or whatever if you're if you're firing left you know, just correct to the right a little. Don't you know? You don't have to sit there and just uh, you know focus so much on on uh, you know fixing that fire into the left a little bit thing. It's it sometimes just correcting uh, is in the other is direction. The, yeah, exactly. Is the uh, better and more expedient and more efficient course to accomplish what it is that you're attempting to accomplish. Yes, uh, putting a lock on your fridge works really well. But believe it or not, surprisingly, locking your snack cabinet after a certain uh, hour, um, putting the key away or having someone else do it for you or having a combination lock. Uh, I'm sure there's apps. I'm sure there's an app for everything. <laughs> I'm sure there's an app to help you randomize a, you know, a, a key combination or something. Um, but yeah, actually legitimately changing what you input through shopping as well as physically limiting your access to things can 
be the willpower that you need. Um, and that's the physical sort of the, the ac active side of how what to physically do. Now we can also control or try to um, mitigate some of the problems that come from the emotional side. And um, I would recommend a, a following exercise. When you are feeling bad and you're feeling a temptation and you want to give in to, to a food and you've tried, you've done all the things, you, you've distanced yourself from it, you've, you've done everything that you can, but you're still feeling these cravings, I would recommend take just five minutes and then tell yourself, I will get, I will get my sweetie. I will get the thing that I want. Just five minutes, the, the, the price to pay for, for getting those goodies is to write down these three things. First, what does the emotion feel like? Because you're not just hungry. There's also something else. So try to identify what that emotion feels like. Describe it. Just, just write it out. Um, or out loud to yourself, but I prefer writing it. It helps. Then secondly, how do you experience the emotion in the body? What do you, what, what are you physically experiencing? Because that's the, the, the one-two punch. You are having a physical reaction, a craving, a, a something. But if you look behind it, there is an emotion and a physical feeling that isn't just hunger. Try to find that. And then thirdly, what is it asking of you? What does it, what does it want? You know, what is that emotion? What is it trying to do? So, so just having the simple five minute exercise of writing out, what does the emotion feel like? How does it feel in your body? And what could it be asking of you can help you start to detangle or start to see patterns in uh, things that ail you. And that would be a very helpful way to begin to treat the cause instead of the symptoms exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> and that way once you know what it is it's leading to that point you can start to work on deeper causes and that instead of trying to fix everything at the end after shit's gone wrong you can keep it from going wrong exactly and uh, on that note though what is eating feeding gluttony you know we're talking about all this well um what about fasting you know it's interesting how I believe a comedian, um, not sure who they were, um, I would um, reference them by name otherwise, but uh, I've forgotten the comedian, but they were talking about the fact that every other religion except Christianity, or, well, essentially let's look at the three Abrahamic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. It seems like Islam and Judaism uh, have fasting as part of a religious holiday, while uh, in the West, anyway, the more Christian traditions that we have in the West are involved with gluttony instead of fasting. So the opposite, uh, which is uh, in, in Russia, for instance, Orthodox Christianity um, and other areas of the world where there's Christianity, they do actually fast as well because the Bible does talk about fasting. And so the joke of the comedian was saying that they seem to have focused on not the fasting part that the saints or Jesus or whatever did, but the, the, the big dinner. Like, it's like, wait a yeah, minute. Dinner? Yeah, there we go. Can, can you back up for to, to, to dinner? You fasted part? for 30 days after dinner? Wait a minute, back up. Uh, you had dinner. Okay, well, there we go. Now that's our holiday. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, there's this juxtaposition between gluttony and fasting, and it seems like other religions uh, or the the it's the it's original our, it's our culture it's our culture specifically right but it seems like religions have baked in them and, and as you've heard our podcast if you have 
heard our podcast before, you do know that we approach religious texts with the idea of uh, it was written or combined into writing at a time, at a place where these ideas were useful for those people for whatever reason. They're, they had some adaptive cause. There was a reason why these, um, you know, don't eat pork or don't have butt sex or, you know, don't splooge on the ground. Like a variety of, of things that seem completely ridiculous that are in the Bible now. At the time, they probably were what was needed for that society to function at its best, at its peak capacity or peak Ability. Yeah, whatever. I mean, like, there's a time when you didn't have, barely have any people, and you need more people as workers, as fighters, etc. And then there's a time when you're on an island, and and everybody's uh, dying because the and eating each other because there's not enough food. And, and you know, in one case, having babies is the very best thing, and then in the other case, having babies is the very worst thing. So mm -hmm. a religion, a, a religion on an uh, on an island could start out with you know them uh, them cannibalizing babies. <laughs> right. Well, no, they could they could start out with you know like you're supposed to produce and multiply and oh, then, right. they start the, out, yeah. and then they destroy themselves if they don't change by the time that they hit the capacity of that island so it's a uh, you know it's there are things that uh, that are valuable but, but then, they're outdated <laughs> but then they can become outdated and become just as destructive as they were helpful exactly and I uh, and I think we're uh, kind of at that uh, at that point um, now again um, so why would you have fasting for 30 days like a long ass time like um, Ramadan is essentially a, a feast after the fast right I don't know I think so Do, correct me if I'm wrong but but essentially variety of religions have fasting um, as for for a, just fasting for like a long as oh wait no Ramadan is the they can eat but only at night or something I don't know I'm sorry <laughs> I'm so sorry um, who knows? Point it's impossible is, to know. There's no way to find out. There's no way to find out. There's, a, there's, we can never have an answer to this question. Um, but my point being, which I'm sure you get my freaking point, which is religions have uh, baked in them this fasting thing. Why? What, what could possibly be the point? As, and also, most of you I hear asking, isn't it unhealthy to not eat for 40 days? Ain't you going to die if you don't eat for 40 days? Well, 30 days. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, since you're on YouTube, um, open a separate tab, type in fasting for 30 days, and you're going to have like a lot of YouTube videos. There's going to be a tremendous amount of experiments that people have done of fasting for 30 days. Uh, it's, it's called a water fast where all you have is water. It's not uh, whenever I've said water fast before, people are like, you're not drinking water for 30 days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, no liquids for 30 days. That's going to work out really well. Yeah. <laughs> No, it means uh, fasting except for water. You, you And sometimes it's also a uh, black coffee fast. So you will have um, nothing but black coffee. Well, water and black. Oh. Obviously. Well, you need Drink water to make black, black coffee. coffee. Just black chew coffee. the grounds. Just chew. For 30 days. New kind of diet right there. Hollywood's uh, taken, taken with the set. Um, yep. All right, so a water fast for 30 days is, is something that people have been doing uh, and putting YouTube videos up for uh, for quite some time now, and uh, it actually is quite good for you. Uh, so there's we have the the fast aspect of it. So 30 days, nothing but water. Um, first five days suck, but after that, it's actually kind of amazing, from what I hear. Uh, I've never done a 30 day fast personally. Uh, but there's also fasting mimicking diet, which is well, that's like advanced level. So so beginner beginner level is intermittent fasting. Um, then you can have intermittent fasting and uh, fasting mimicking uh, diet, which is or um, pills, etc., and diet. Now you get herbs and uh, 
small meals of specific calorie counting. And then you also have like advanced level, which is just 30 days, no food. Um, I'd say that the, the a fasting mimicking diet where they re where you do reduced amounts of food is probably probably the beginner the hardest. No, I think it's the it's hardest. Advanced, I think yeah. that, that if you're going to do a, uh, I mean, intermittent That's what fasting I felt is where like eating the day every other day is right. one thing, or or stopping eating at an early point in the day mm -hmm. is another uh, method that people use. Uh, there's a there's a variety of ways in which basically you're you're restricting, uh, you know, all caloric in intake. For a period of time, and then doing that fairly regularly for intermittent fasting is uh, is probably that's probably one of the easiest ones, and probably fits in people's lives the best because one of the, the things that we've done is the five day water fast a few times, and that's um, you know that is it can be very disruptive, but it's also very strong. In other words, it's probably the strongest and most direct way to to do the, the least thing. amount of time <laughs> the least amount of time and that is you just straight you know it's just, it's just don't eat for five days yeah, just exactly. drink water water and well black coffee <laughs> and black coffee if you have to work <laughs> yeah if you have to exist um <laughs> at all then uh yeah black coffee is very helpful i, I know that that was a like you know I, I i usually hate black coffee but my god that was it was a, be a beautiful thing during each each one of the, the fasts that we've done. Speaking of thankfulness, that's that's a great segue. As soon as we're done with uh, with the fasting element, let, let's go into thankfulness. But yeah, I think you were bringing up why why mm -hmm. fasting. What's yes, why mean? fasting. But you brought up something really interesting, which is essentially the highlight of the fasting idea. It's not what you eat, but a system of telling you when to eat. So that's the whole thing about fasting is that it's not about intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting yes, mm -hmm. intermittent fasting, uh, which is the, the sweet spot essentially is intermittent fasting. That is like, as you were saying, that is the, the, the beginner mode, the one that would most likely fit in everybody's diet or lifestyle, whatever. It is probably the easiest thing to do to begin uh, getting the benefits and the benefits. What are they? Well, intermittent fasting. Um, which is essentially the definition is the practice of going without food for an undefined period of time uh, has health benefits uh, it can prevent heart disease it can speed up fat loss it can even slow or reverse aging so a lot of it has to do with insulin and uh, oxidative stress and inflammation which gets reduced by by these things um, essentially um, there's a an, an article I can read for you guys, um, but uh, it's a bit sciency, and uh, I will probably link it in in the low bar um, or in the Patreon post. Which, of course, all of our I podcasts can talk about are free. The anti aging thing. The 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 reason why it's anti aging, which I mean, yeah. Well, I, it increases autophagy, but how? Well, how how that's like it, 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 there's just signaling. Right. I, how is not important. My, what's, I think what's important is, is why is autophagy valuable. And right. There seems and to be telomerase sing, signaling okay. and autophagy. So, so we talk about that. Let's, yeah. let's do that. Uh, there's a, autophagy and I think also it, uh, apoptosis as well. That they, they, they usually associate it with autophagy. So autophagy is when basically your cells, as they are working, they tend to set up. Um, think, of it, think of it like uh, every cell is like a computer. And you know how you, uh, when you're installing various things, you end up with, uh, you know, all the toolbars and just eventually your computer just becomes crap because of all of the various uh, things that are installed in it. This is basically specialization. So specialization for particular circumstances to take advantage of certain types of food sources, certain balances of chemicals, etc. A cell will 
people t tend to specialize. But in that specialization, you're basically creating uh, kind of a, uh, a a pathway or like a, a a ball of foil. It's like a, it's stacking a bunch of things together that are very specialized and dependencies are created within that stack of systems and then that the more it's specialized and the more dependencies you create the more that cell it becomes a uh, incapable of functioning properly under a wide variety of circumstances so it's basically in your body you every every organism on both the tiny scale and at a very large scale has to have this balancing act between adaptation and specialization if you're very adaptive and you can go to a lot of different circumstances you're not very good and focused on on you know one specific type of food source or one specific sort of niche that is really the only thing that's available to you you're just kind of a generalist and being but being a generalist in a new situation is extremely valuable so there's there's always this balance all throughout nature of uh of shifting back and forth across this line or trying to stick to one for a period of time and and it's just this uh going this balance is is you'll just find it everywhere is, is kind of my point but with with specifically with cells the autophagy what happens is it it, it it's basically you know reinstalling windows it's uh it's going and getting the cell back down to that more generalized state that can re-specialize to different circumstances and that basically makes uh the cell capable of reproducing better and not passing on defects and uh you know a variety of things like that so that's so autophagy um relates to um uh anti senescence you know, anti-aging in that way that it's basically it's a, it's a resetting and one of the things i like to bring up all the time is that you know the only organism we know of that lives indefinitely basically it's it's immortal is the immortal jellyfish how does it do it well it returns to innocence basically what happens is they they go back into a polyp state they go back into a generalized they revert into an adaptive infant. state they revert yeah. to infancy infancy basically they despecialize and once they despecialize then because their their environment is always changing they can respecialize to the slightly different environment in which they will now be placed and so that sort of thing is that that is the essence of what youth is that is the essence of the the I mean, the reason why animals are programmed to die after a certain period of time, because that's what they are. They are programmed to die after a certain period of time. It's there in the length of our telomeres and things of that nature. It has to do with how long will a specialized individual be capable of um, working in an environment that is changing. And so it is a measure of how long like for, for, you know, uh, a specific, like for a fly or for something that has a short um, lifespan, its environment, which has to do with how far it can travel, et cetera, et cetera, is going to be changing very rapidly. So it's best that it pass on its genes very rapidly and die and not take up resources. And so basically it is, the, you know, if you look at this from like a, you know, a Dawkins kind of selfish gene perspective, it is basically attempting to maximize the um, uh, the adaptation cycle between specialization and adaptation to what best fits for that specific animal. And so that's why we have death programmed in, and that's why we have babies. And uh, you know, you need to, you need to, the older ones to die off 
so that the the newer version the version 2.0 3.0 etc mm -hmm. can actually flourish without you know in, in the new environment so that's that's what the genes are are doing and so so basically by mimicking that process that is all throughout nature what you're doing is is uh is you're you're creating the situation that genes are always attempting to um you know that all of these very complex systems that are expressed through genes basically that the complex systems of life which are basically eternal existence of an organism or life itself etc it, that's the solution to it is going back and forth between the specialization and generalization and so so that's that's why it relates to uh antisenescence is basically you are you are at a small scale causing that reversion to a generalist state and removing specialization so uh and then also of course there is um uh not just autophagy which is the removal of subsystems in the cell there's also apoptosis where basically you're getting rid of cells that have reached a point at which they can no longer properly reproduce without passing along you know uh prob problems and mutations and uh, things of that nature so that you do both of those things basically your immune system goes in and starts tearing out all the junk uh you know and using up basically you know when, when it's time to say okay why would your body be saving all these things in the first place well it's just like let's look at what's happening in a in a rainforest a rainforest is there's a tremendous amount of diversity when you compare a rainforest versus a desert the reason why you have diversity is because who knows what's going to happen in the future so mm -hmm. life itself is trying to create as many different possible models that might fit in billions of unknown niches that could be there in the future mm -hmm. so the reason why nature tries to hang on to these very extremely diversified systems that uh, is for the purpose of you know adaptation but when the rubber meets the road and suddenly resources are low it's time to pull out all the you know anything that is not absolutely necessary you start cutting off all those exploratory attempts which is that's what all the various species are they're exploratory attempts uh and so you so the same thing of course happens in the body is you're you're all of the things that were exploratory attempts to specialize to the the specific environment of your body the foods that you eat the fat and and, and uh you know sugar balances the hormone balances you name it all of those things are those cells are trying to specialize to that but that when when you know when you have to survive you need additional fuel then all of those various things that are not very generalized and capable of uh, or or ex working extremely well at their specific job all of those things needed to be taken out and so your body of course has developed that same system which happens in nature which is you you know when, when a rainforest gets chopped down then you know only the species that can survive in the new environment are the ones that move forward mm -hmm. uh, and yeah the uh, a lot of this um essentially if we talk about anti-aging and uh, immortality or a fountain of youth things like that um those who are in the know will talk about telomerase and the lengthening of telomeres which is the end caps of our dna strands that have been shown uh, with reduction of the telomeres uh, so does aging and damage accumulate in the body as well and the longer the telomeres are the more it seems the body is capable of, of re regaining or restating back to a youthful coming back to a youthful state uh, but of course we don't have um, telomere therapy currently that's not really a, a common thing it's, it's really hard to find and so um, the the 
a person here wrote an article on, on Medium, uh, P.D. Mangan. He uh, wrote uh, six books on health and fitness and things like that. i um, not sure who he is, but it's a decent article. So um, You'll link it in the low bar? Yeah, I will link it in the low bar. And not just the low bar. Actually, there's zero links in the low bar uh, about the specific articles, but there is a link to Patreon because that is the hub of our cherry stem. You go to patreon.com slash cherry. There's a cherry stem hashtag. Click on that. Every single episode is available to download in audio format for free, and it has all the supplementary readings and everything in that post. So follow, bookmark, um, do what you got to do on Patreon. You can actually follow um, them. There's also an RSS link to our podcast down below. Uh, but if you're looking for supplemental reading, that is all on patreon.com. Now, um, the idea here is that uh, until... Um, telomere therapy comes along, intermittent fasting might be the best way of clearing damage. If aging, uh, as Dr. P.D. Mangan um, argues, if aging is accumulation of damage, then clearing out said damage through autophagy, autophagy seems to be the way to reduce aging. Um, now, there was an interview with Dr. Um, Michael Fossil, who essentially talks about telomerase and telomere therapy being the one and only way to stop aging and um, there seems to be a disagreement between these two people uh, whether or not intermittent fasting is the next best way of clearing aging but of course Dr. Fossil who disagrees with intermittent fasting being useful is is wrong he's wrong <laughs> sorry <laughs> we have proof yeah, there's, there's massive evidence yeah there's massive evidence that intermittent fasting uh, helps with de-aging and uh, it also helps with a lot of other things as i mentioned such as fat loss and and other things and a lot of it actually has to do with insulin so if but what did, did you read here and because uh, is um, there an interplay it. between the um lengthening of telomeres and uh, because that's the one thing that basically what the the simplistic view of telomeres is uh there are these end caps that that you know the machinery of uh, DNA as it's as the cell is replicating goes through and chops off one of these little end caps, and so the longer your telomeres are, the more times that that cell can replicate. And then once it runs out of telomeres, then it just starts cutting off data and reading. You know, basically you're reading uh, <laughs> from a computer standpoint. You're like reading into memory. You know, you're like into other memory. You're not. You know, you're you're no longer. The code itself is starting to fall apart, and uh, you know, and the mechanisms which read the code and execute it are are basically failing, and you know, because of the fact that there's no longer this, the parts of the system that basically count down, um, you know, are, aren't there. And so, uh, I know telomerase lengthens telomeres, and so if you have telomerase, you know, working efficiently. The amount of losses will, of course, be balanced by the number of, you know, uh, of those end caps that you gain. And so, therefore, it becomes a system that is self-sustaining and doesn't keep counting down. Uh, so, the question, I guess, is then, you know, where what is the interplay here? Because this is something where you, you, you did the research and I'm just relying on, you know, old information that I have yeah. in my head. Um, and, and that's one of the parts that I haven't really looked into is where the, where the uh, telomere lengthening um, portion of it comes in with respect to fasting. As far as I have looked into it, which 
was just now, um, there doesn't seem to be any um, scientific, st any studies, any published studies of, of uh, any specific scientific documents that indicate there's a relationship between specifically telomerase and fasting. What about autophagy and telomerase? Um, however, um, there is a study um, on PubMed that um, shows that multivitamin use in women is associated with longer telomeres. Yeah, well, I know that, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, ah, my family is uh, fucked up in their ability to absorb folic acid. Uh, so folic acid, I know, uh, is directly related to um, the production of telomerase. Um, reduces telomerase. Huh. Well, well I don't know one what of the things is are, but... the um, okay. Well, yeah, actually, that makes sense. So, so she's uh, we're what we're kind of uh, you know signaling each other about, and that sounds weird, is that we're looking at a uh, uh, an article that says autophagy induction reduces telomerase activity. So that would be exactly the opposite, it seems. However, yeah, it's uh, published in Mechanisms of Aging and Development mm -hmm. in April 2017. Well, one of the things that you'll find all throughout the body is that it's always the after effect that is um, important. So when it, the, you always want to induce the body to do things. And one of the things that, that every researcher in uh, anti-aging through the use of um, either you know fasting or fasting fasting mimicking or etc. One of the things that they always say is it is not the fasting itself that does the work; it is the refeeding. Uh, mm -hmm. They say that that where they see the benefits is not during the fasting. That's basically a stressor, and that and it is but it is the after effect of it that um, that you end up seeing the benefits. So it, it actually makes perfect sense that a reduction in telomerase production would, would then lead your body to detect this um, this lowered amount and then there would be a, uh, a uh, you know boomerang effect and it would then increase afterwards. So that, that makes perfect sense with the, the story as we know it so far. Found an article um, on PLOS One um, by an Asian team Talking about hexokinase too, and uh, they're going in the other direction. That recent studies report in the abstract anyway. They're mentioning that recent studies reported that telomerase and hexokinase two regulate autophagy through mTOR, and that telomerase is a capacity to bind to the AHK two promoter. So telomerase uh, seems there seems to be a connection between autophagy and telomerase through the hexokinase HK two hexokinase two um, binding. Yeah, it goes both ways. Um, well, I mean, that, that would probably be the the cascade of uh, of effects that would lead, you know, between th that's probably the detection and you mm -hmm. know uh, uh, compensation effect, which always happens at all uh, all throughout our our body. Everything, all the cells, every system is a homeostatic system. In other words, it's always attempting. The way that something adapts is by a pressure on on each side of of a middle area that it that it, it should be shifting back and forth across to basically create an emergent effect that is based upon um, the local environment. And that's, that's how you know biology works is through this sort of in induction of emergence. And that way, it, that's how adaptation uh, is, is kind of uh, induced. And so, yeah, it makes perfect sense that they're, because they're, they're, whenever something goes to one side of the balance in a homeostatic system, the, the, the homeostatic system then, you know, uh, always is, tries harder to correct that's why it's whenever yeah go ahead you were going to say something 
Yes, uh, that's bringing us further afield. Right. But uh, I just wanted to, because I found it. I had it. I was, okay, go ahead. I was so go, excited. Do it. Do it. It's all you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, straight up, in this article, um, which is on Plus One, I will be linking it as well in the Patreon post. Telomerase deficiency impairs glucose, metabolism, and autophagy. So we know that. Clearly, telomerase to autophagy, like having good telomeres. Say it again. Telomerase deficiency impairs glucose metabolism and autophagy. So having crappy okay. telomerase impairs your ability to clear out damage, which right. makes sense. That's how you age. That's right. part of this okay. whole thing. Uh, messed up telomeres equals lack of autophagy, etc. Next thing, linked, uh, referenced. In addition. Caloric restriction increases telomerase activity and enhances autophagy. There it fucking is. Yeah. And, so the, boom, the, and bang, the problem boom. is that a lot of times why you would have two studies that seem to be in conflict mm -hmm. with each other is they very frequently do not point out the time period. Right, they look at before and they, versus after. And versus... a lot of times they'll just say what the effect is without pointing out that, okay, this is during the treatment, this is after the treatment. And so they won't, you know, in many studies, they have this problem. And, they, and the researchers themselves, for some reason, have not been taught to properly point out the differences between you know like what uh, the effects of a of something that's chronic versus something that's acute or uh you know all of these things that have to do with time-based effects in other words if something like if you have acute uh, administration of a specific chemical there are effects during its activity and then there are effects afterwards that are of course the system bouncing away from whatever it was that you just did and that is something that's that is very well known by somebody who is in biology but uh, a lot of the researchers i think they're they be, they've become so specialized that they're not only not pointing it out you can see in some of the papers that i've been reading through that they don't really necessarily get this principle which was you know it should be obvious it should be like it's it's there everywhere you know i mean if any kind of well-rounded look at all of these systems shows that they all conform to this system of of um uh, of rebound from uh, homeostasis that all, all of them have to do with these loops these cascades of of uh, of events that we you know come back to you know the the origin and so uh, I, I don't understand why well, that's also, not, uh, also a note on the, on titles of studies versus what they actually say in them because the the title of this this article uh, or a study is autophagy induction reduces telomerase activity in HeLa cells However, when you actually read it, they're talking about the fact that it is expression of a very overexpression of a specific signaling molecule called Becklin-1 that reduces uh, telomerase activity by about a hundredfold. So it is a very specific, and essentially their, their bottom line is that understanding the role of autophagy induction in telomerase can help with preventative and intervention and therapeutic strategies. So essentially they're just looking into it and seeing that certain signaling molecules mess up telomerase and autophagy but it is, doesn't necessarily mean that autophagy messes up telomerase you know yeah you know it seems like that's the title so going back to the metaphor of like, like setting up a, a machine you know you can end up having on a uh you know on your windows machine you know these programs set up and they're just they, they end up interfering with each other in ways that they that wasn't intentional exactly you know because uh, there's just it's such a complex system and then the other thing that's important is that after you nuke your system to the ground you have to reinstall the programs that you're going to use or the system's uh, useless and so mm -hmm. that's uh, that's part of the reason why it is that uh 
that it's not just the uh, fasting, it is also the refeeding. So one of the things I think that is very important is whenever a person does do fasting, that they don't refeed with shitty foods. Because mm. so a lot of people are like, oh, I've done so good, you know, with this fasting that now I could just eat a bunch of shit. Well, keep in mind, the, the good that is done by the fasting is the after effect. So you should be especially eating the most healthy you know the the good fast vitamin yeah vitamins you know the, as we've shown multivitamin use and telomere length in women that's <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> almost certainly folic acid so so probably in, uh increase the intake of folic acid immediately thereafter would be one of the ways in which you want to potentiate the effect that's going to occur and you can take that through herbs feeding. or through foods that contain folic acid which i believe are usually greens but i could be wrong on that um uh, the the other thing too is yeah leafy greens contain folic acid um, leafy greens such as spinach citrus fruits um, beans and things like that so so get you some some green beans some spinach some citrus fruits um, some healthy cereals uh, multigrain kind of stuff and some some sprouted breads and that that will be some really good uh, healthy but also carb loaded. Uh, goodies. So you get you some citrus juice um, that you get your your sugar. Uh, get you some sprouted breads. That way you get the the carbs and and the comfort of the bread uh, with butter because fats are great. Um, Grass fed butter especially. Um, get you some some of that. Um, but it's when it's sprouted bread, it's essentially more. It's it's healthier than than otherwise than dead bread. <laughs> A green spinach, etc. Um, so, so that would be a, a really good refeeding uh, strategy. Um, another thing uh, too, I did find is that um, an article in Molecular and Cellular, or a uh, study published in 2015 in Molecular and Cellular Biochemistry, uh, which essentially is titled "Calorie Restriction Increases Telomerase Activity, Enhances Autophagy." And improves diastolic dysfunction in diabetic uh, rat hearts. So, so yeah, um, there's a lot when it comes to resetting the the way your insulin production works. That's what I was uh, going to talk the, about. There's you know fatty liver Next. diseases. Uh, you know you end up having all these fats, etc., in in the, the liver itself. And so th those are some of the first things that are kind of taken out that that end up getting. Uh, uh, making your liver function better, which then, of course, it's a, that's a positive feedback loop. There's negative uh, feedback loops where things get worse and make other things get worse, and then there's positive feedback loops where making things better make other things better, and that's uh, one of the things that uh, you know can happen with the liver health. Is that uh, you know I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's part of the um, what happens with fasting is that there is a there's an increase in liver health. And that leads to better insulin, you know, uh, sensitivity, etc., which then, of course, would lead to better liver health. Well, uh, so. let's let's look at what lower insulin even means, because we, you guys have heard insulin, you've heard diabetes, like diabetes is a problem. People get diagnosed with it, um, they just suddenly come down with diabetes out of nowhere um, nowadays. So it's like, well, what is all that? What is diabetes? What is insulin? What is going on? How does any of that have to do with being fat? What is happening? Uh, well, there's a number of psychological, uh, sorry, physiological, <laughs> sorry, uh, there are a number of physiological, misread that, number of physiological mechanisms involved. Um, essentially, lower insulin reduces inflammation and oxidative stress, which leads to a greater number and quality of mitochondria, which helps with your energy. Uh, which also increases autophagy, low insulin does, uh, which is, this, as we've mentioned, the cellular, cellular self-cleaning process. Uh, now, there's a lot of beneficial effects that are entwined in low insulin. Um, so, function of insulin is to promote energy storage and the growth of an organism. So, 
therefore insulin dysregulation. Uh, I believe insulin is a hormone. Yeah. So uh, hormones are extremely effective. They um, they change your body in massive ways. Let's just look yeah, at testosterone and estrogen. Uh, that happens mm -hmm. where you know mRNA uh, signals and, and things of that nature are are strongly influenced by hormonal factors. Right. So we would talk about neurochemicals, and that's that's great and all. But uh, to me, hormones are actually perhaps greater, and of course they influence neurochemicals. Uh, but hormones to me are are upstream. Of neurochemicals, hormones uh, affect DNA signaling, which uh, essentially tells your body what to do. Uh, that's what DNA signaling is. It, it tells your body to reproduce particular cells, to to um, go over certain areas of the DNA and and do what those areas say. And we've uh, talked about briefly epigenetics and things like that, which we'll do a, a greater article or a greater uh, topic on at some point. But essentially, the way you live your life and the food that you take and the environment that you live in actually exp uh, changes what your DNA expresses. So we have a variety of abilities and adaptations in our DNA. The same human can survive in a desert versus a jungle while feeding conditions and living conditions are vastly different in those two places. But we have that ability in us because of the histones, which is little, little coiled up areas that wrap up DNA on them and they move, they unroll uh, based on environmental factors uh, and uh, diet and, and otherwise and, and emotional uh, factors as well. Uh, it is quite literally possible to, to to think yourself like to to to, to be sad to death <laughs> like <laughs> it, it it is qu quite likely um and and maybe even scientifically proven that people can can think themselves to death when they're you know sad they essentially their hearts stop because they're just too fucking depressed uh, um, it's basically it's a break uh, the hormonal signaling of stress leads mm -hmm. to various types of inflammation which then becomes a feedback loop which then uh you know modulates the immune breaks system, your system and which makes more inflammation which uh, and so what you're talking about is a cascading set of effects from depression because of the ways in which your brain can alter hormone expression to the point at which it's there is a mind-body connection that is very mechanical that you can that's not we're not talking about something that's like in any way magical it's right. directly easily traceable to mechanics of hormones and and systems and cascades of uh and, and therefore downward spiraling mm -hmm. loops that uh, in, in the way that these systems work until they, the whole system collapses. And so that's what, you, what we're talking about right. there. Exactly. It's not just some mystical woo-woo, like you think yourself to death, but it is a mind-body connection is very, very real. Um, your, your mind is what your brain does, and your brain controls everything your body does. Um, and so uh, let's look at testosterone and estrogen. I mean, there's a reason why whenever people transition um, from one gender to another, they take hormones and that changes the way they look in a massive way, uh, specifically uh, female to male. Um, and of course we know about athletes and, and just men. Um, maybe some of you have taken steroids or uh, artificial testosterone or whatever, where you can see some of the greatest effects on your body, like literal physical body changes. Um, you know, antidepressants don't do that. Um, you know, little, little psychedelics don't do that. Any kind of psychoactive component doesn't do that. So neurochemicals is great and all. It affects your mood. It affects your personality. Sure. But not like hormones. Hormones affect your whole body. They affect your phenotype, how you look, how your body expresses itself. And incidentally, oxytocin is both a neurochemical and hormone. Mm-hmm. is a big one. Uh, insulin uh, also. Uh, so you've heard insulin. People do insulin shots when they have diabetic, when they are diabetic, this and that. What is all this? <laughs> Doing shots. Doing shots. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, many beneficial effects are entwined with specifically lower insulin levels. 
Um, and as I was saying, uh, insulin, the function of insulin is to promote energy storage and the growth of organisms of energy storage because it has to do with mitochondria activity and growth of organism. That's how people get that's how people grow, maybe in the direction they don't want to. But and let's, and let's talk about why is it important that lower insulin level. So why mm -hmm. would you have a right. lower insulin level? You have a lower insulin level uh, when you are when you have less food because insulin is is converting um, energy sources into into energy, and is, that's one of the pathways in which you you it's a conversion factor. And right. so. Uh, so during fasting and during reduced food intake, you would have lower insulin. Mm -hmm. And incidentally, let's also mention that one of the things that it was that one of the first ways in which they started to get on this path of recognizing that lower food intake can lead to uh, anti senescent effects is because uh, back in like senescence early, is aging, right? Back in like 2000 era, they they started discovering that food reduction in animals just just reducing the, their food intake would massively in, uh, increase About thirty percent their their lifespan, lifespan. Increase. and so that so that's part of the re how they started down this path of figuring out what's going on With how fasting, it, how yeah. it is that we're capable of uh, living longer just from reduction of food and so part of the picture of course is insulin right and uh, what happens when you eat, etc. Uh, insulin is increased, fat is stored in fat cells, and other cells take up glucose from the blood. And most importantly, when insulin is increased, lipids can't leave fat cells. So since fat cell loss is about getting lipids out of fat cells to be burned up for energy, uh, losing fat requires some attention um, to how diet, exercise, and fasting can cause insulin to rise and fall. So essentially, the, the, the fat loss aspect of it is lipids, fats, leaving those fat cells to be used for energy. And insulin, when it's increased, it doesn't let that fat leave. It stays. So, and so the other, so that's the basically insulin's part of the energy storage, mm -hmm. converting foods and energy sources to uh, a storage state, whereas the other state is the ketone uh, system, and the ketone system is all about taking the uh, the energy that's that's in fat, etc., and making it available to cells. And so there's there there's uh, two different ways you can have your sugars that are readily available in your blood directly from your food, um, and that's you know and, and glucose and a number of other uh, energy sources directly from food. But then there's also the ketone um, uh, energy mm -hmm. pathway. So you have these two major energy pathways that are that can be switched from one to the other, and that happens during Through fasting. It, it's, it takes that switch from one to the other. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, essentially that's uh, where intermittent, fa intermittent fasting comes in because if you have lower levels of insulin, you have higher lipolysis. Um, get rid of that fat. So eating causes insulin to rise but the amount that rises is dependent on a variety of factors such as the type of food the amount uh etc for instance there's actually evidence to suggest that eating low salt having a low sodium diet increases your insulin not good <laughs> so uh cool, bro. high sugar low salt diets are actually um, messing up insulin like crazy in people and there's evidence to suggest that and I will try to link it in the post there's a great great video but by, by what I learned on the relationship of salt and fat um, through insulin and the liver and all of that good stuff um, 
or kidneys or all of it. It's all great. <laughs> great article, great video. I'll I'll link that. You might want to uh, put a reminder up by like because um, you might forget that one since you don't have a link up anywhere. All right. Um, yeah, it 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 takes uh, an entire video um, to go into the different ways in which salt, uh, for instance, uh, has to do with insulin, which you wouldn't think uh, that those would two even be related, but they actually are. But it takes, you know, a 15 minute video to just explain all of that um, by somebody who. Yeah, you did a great job. I, yeah, I really created enjoyed, it. I really so, enjoyed his stuff. Yeah, uh, we need to keep watching it. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so uh, essentially, there what you eat uh, affects how much insulin is uh, excreted, but just eating alone causes insulin to rise. So the longer, hence intermittent fasting, the longer you can wait, it's not about what you eat, it's when you eat, the longer you can wait before eating, uh, the more time you spend in low insulin state, high lipolysis state. Uh, so high amounts of carbohydrates um, and low insulin sensitivity cause a greater rise in, in insulin, and that's what diabetes is. You have insulin insensitivity. People become completely insensitive to it. Uh, and one of the ways you can help that sensitivity or insensitivity, because you have both, you end up having two types of diabetes actually, uh, based on whether how sensitive or insensitive they are to insulin. Um, and stevia uh, supplementation actually helps with that. So if you're looking for a sweetener substitute uh, or something to help you with your insulin. It's a natural herb, basically. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's a, a grass that grows. That, and it's, you, know. and it's, uh, it, you can actually use it in, in high amounts as a therapeutic um, supplement. Yeah, as a therapeutic supplement. So was there a connection between um, the process of autophagy and uh, insulin that, uh, mm -hmm. that, that, that you were that's, laying out? Yes, that, that I am. Mm -hmm. Specifically uh, I'm, I'm when it comes leading to telomerase? No, no. Okay. Forget yes. about telomerase. That that's too okay. Yeah, too too deep. Too esoteric. Okay. Way too deep. Um, but the, we're already getting pretty deep with this insulin stuff. But uh, so essentially, insulin uh, increases when you eat. Insulin increases and stays higher for several hours after eating. That is during the fed state. Um, and so the absence of food during intermittent fasting is what lowers your insulin. So you know why should you care about that? Why does that matter? Uh, well, we mentioned what it has to do with fat loss, for instance. Um, now there's some some sweet spot for intermittent fasting. Uh, it's a 16 to 8 uh, ratio, and I'll talk about that. But essentially, fasting, as we we're saying, also promotes autophagy. The great benefits of intermittent fasting uh, is is the cellular uh, inducing the cellular self cleaning process that breaks down and recycles damage damaged molecules and organelles. And uh, so during this fed state, when insulin is increased, the rate of autophagy is low. During the fasted state, as insulin drops, autophagy increases dramatically, perhaps even fivefold. So many of the anti-aging effects of calorie restriction and intermittent fasting, like we were saying, there were studies on rats where they showed them living 30% longer from just a reduction in how much food they eat. So many anti-aging effects of calorie restriction and intermittent fasting come from this increase in autophagy. There's actually a book uh, discussing this relationship between insulin, well, intermittent fasting, therefore insulin levels, low insulin, and autophagy called Stop the Clock, the Optimal Anti-Aging Strategy, and I will um, be linking that as well. So uh, a high rate of autophagy is characteristics, uh, a characteristic of young organisms. With aging, autophagy decreases, and that's what allows cellular, cellular damage to accumulate so basically you're saying that young organisms are more generalized and uh, older organisms are more specialized. Yep. 
Huh, what do you uh -huh, know? Uh -huh. <laughs> so by fasting intermittently, autophagy rates can be reset to that of a younger person. So essentially fountain of youth. Uh, and as we've seen, one of the ways uh, that happens is through lowered insulin. So exercise, for instance, improves insulin sensitivity. So uh, for any giving fasting stimulus, a person who is in shape will see insulin levels drop and lipolysis commence faster than someone who is not in shape. So it, of course, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. And by diet, we mean like don't fucking eat, like literally don't eat. Well, <laughs> and, also eat the, and eat the right things. Eat the right things, for sure. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, an optimal sweet spot for intermittent fasting. And I will talk about that after I uh, finish outlining the, the health benefits in detail. Um, so uh, low carb diets cause uh, less of a rise in insulin. Um, so a low carb diet, a person will also see their intermittent fasting benefits and autophagy happen faster than someone who uh, eats poorly and doesn't exercise. So healthy diet and exercise will lead you to have faster results in anti-aging. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it if you're out of shape and don't eat the right things, you know, you, it still helps a lot. Um, uh, now, autophagy... And, and there's good reason to believe that basically what you're talking about there is ketosis, yes. which is which we see, we, like, since the time of Atkins diet, people have been talking about, um, you know, ketosis and, and things like that, but there's good reason to believe that, that the you know, ketosis is not the strange other state, but it is the primary state that, that, um you know, organisms are normally in, and it is this other state that we get into that, that has to do with this constant use of insulin and constant presence of insulin because we, you know, have so much abundance. Uh, that is the, that's the abnormal state. That's not, you know, not, not as normal for a healthy, active, you know, animal in the wild, for instance. Yeah, the interesting thing about it too is since we're talking about autophagy and insulin, the relationship between those two, Autophagy is suppressed in the presence of insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia. That's one of the main mechanisms behind the deleterious effects of diabetes and obesity. Because as you who have friends or family who have diabetes, you may know um, uh, people lose limbs to diabetes. Uh, so it's it, it literally ravages your body um, and 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 in a variety, in a variety of ways. ways. And this is a very to me and a direct link to autophagy. But you know, gangrenous uh, body parts and autophagy seem to you know be completely linked hand that's in hand. A, that's a bit uh, clear. There's, well, clearing there's a, there's out a lot damage. Of stuff in between. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just seems like uh, if you have healthy autophagy that is clearing out all the damage that is continuing to repair cells that is signaling as a young healthy oh. body would signal then you wouldn't necessarily have as many well you wouldn't leave, it, you wouldn't have the problems with circulation that occur right, right. And because the the healthy cells basically you, what, what happens is you have these cells that are uh you know you have more and more Damaged unhealthy and, cells yeah. that are basically not functioning properly yeah. they're not as elastic etc this reduces the, you know the ability for circulation to occur and then it leads to those things that end up in a the you know that what you're talking about with you know the limbs becoming gangrenous that's that is a critical failure of a lot of different right. systems and so you so we're talking about two vastly different levels and at the level of the autophagy you're basically you know, you're talking about each individual cell being capable of doing its job properly, whereas there is a specific cascade of events that leads to the, uh, the large-scale failures. Right, it's just fascinating that uh, specifically autophagy is so strongly linked to insulin, to where it is completely reduced uh, down to practically nothing when you have uh, insulin resistance or hyperinsulinemia. So this is the things I mentioned, the two sides of insulin resistance or hypersensitivity. Uh, and both of those actually are 
regulated by stevia. Uh, you can use it as a supplement in your tea. It's not the perfect sugar substitute, but it's great for cooking, um, adding it to stuff. I think the, the science on using it as a supplement, you actually have to like take pills because right. of the, you have to take the, the amount you have to take is pretty large. Uh, but, uh, but still, Stevia's hey, usually concentrated hey, anyway. Just so. small amounts of, of it are probably helpful too. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. So what is the sweet spot for intermittent fasting? Well, we have some evidence here that the most common intermittent fasting schedule so essentially what are we talking about uh intermittent fasting what you do is how it works you condense all of your eating into a set period of time and then fast for the rest of the day or fast for the beginning of the day uh which is what tends to be the most common one so so the window in really? which you eat is the yeah the window in which you eat might be way more important than what you eat and so once again it's when you eat not what you eat the most common intermittent fasting schedule is 16 to 8 which is 16 hours not eating and eight hours of eating. So quote here is, uh, it is quite possibly the most popular eating schedule in the intermittent fasting world. It allows for eight hour eating window, usually starting with a late lunch and dinner. Skipping breakfast is easier for most because lunch and dinner seem to be the most social times for meeting up and eating together. Ah, and for us, sense. mm -hmm. so yeah, that's another thing. When you're losing weight uh, or when you're trying to be a vegetarian or what have you, the biggest difficulty is going out with your friends to eat. Uh, the social aspect of eating. Once again, we've talked about this. The, 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 the biggest thing you spend your money on is entertainment. Uh, we could eat gruel by ourselves and uh, or eat Soylent blocks uh, by ourselves and get our necessary nutrition. Why are why do we get together around meals that are fancy and, and bountiful and in beautiful locations with our friends? Why? Entertainment. It, it is a social connection. It is it is something extra to it that uh, ends up being d uh, very difficult to pull away from, and it ends up holding you back if you're trying to change. And those people around and you don't. And then when you when you realize that you uh, associate eating and meals with a happy time with mm -hmm, people, mm -hmm. and then when you're feeling shitty, what do you do? You eat. Well, that's because yep. there's an association, and so you're hitting not just the dopamine of eating itself but the dopamine also associated with social Bonding. or positive events that you you know have as well so there's so there's multiple ways in which your brain is is giving you reward and that's why you'll seek food during times of you know that you're not feeling good exactly um exactly right so um the the, the gluttonous aspect that we were talking so about in the beginning did you are any of the articles that you're covering going to talk about how fasting alters your biome because that also was a uh, an important thing that uh that not directly up. no oh well that's too bad well maybe we can do a little more research on that and mention it in, in um, another uh another podcast but I, I know that one of the things that is uh that is important is that you're okay so we've talked about you know how the biome can really your microbiome can really you know uh alter mm -hmm. the way in which you think the way you, your emotional you know uh state is is directly linked to your your microbiome because right. of all the various um you know vitamins and and the, the, there's a, there's a lot of different ways in which it does this i mean there's mm -hmm. there's changes to the guts uh you know thickness and the, you know how its permeability and just a vast number of things and, and then that um, you know, uh, let's, let's talk about what, how the, the gut can actually, through vitamin D, one of the things that they've found, uh, well, actually, I, uh, somebody we're related to specifically found that, uh, that vitamin D, uh, alters the gut's production of, uh, serotonin. So you have the serotonin and opioid balance in the gut and also in the brain and the way that it works in the gut versus the brain are, are basically opposites. And it depends on you know what um, uh, 
what the signaling what signaling is given to the cells in those areas whether they respond in the way they're supposed to or not and in uh, basically autism is related to this flipping of the signaling so that they, it's not using the balance of serotonin and neopioids properly and uh, and so part of that of course is the what bacteria are present what kind of you know environment those bacteria are creating for the cells that are that are there and, and you know that all of these things are linked together there are there are all of these vast number of causal effects that come into uh, that, that they come together they aggregate it's not you don't you don't look at it from this leads to this leads to this it's, it's you know tons of things are create an overarching environment that is a uh, there's a combination of effects and so uh, so you know changing your your microbiome in your gut of course that's the way in which it is altering your mental state is through these these sorts of balances because the um, the, 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 there is a signaling between the gut and the brain that, uh, that kind of links them. And I, I know I'm getting a little general here, but that's, uh, it is still uh, an area of active research. And it's a, it's a very interesting uh, connection between the two. But obviously, the fact that um, fasting leads to this uh, change in your microbiome, and you end up seeing that a lot of people find that that, that there is well, well one of the ways that you know going back to the spirituality thing, people find that you know the, the ways that they cast out demons. I mean, what, what were demons? People's mental dis you know disabilities. Mm -hmm. Basically, people, whenever somebody was going through schizophrenia, that's a, which can be fucking horrible for, mm -hmm. a, for a person. Uh, fasting is one of the ways in which basically they would cast out the demons, and and which means basically restore starve the body of the right. demon. <laughs> right, Store, uh, changing the, their their gut microbiome is what they were doing, and so uh, you know when you when you go and you limit the type of well, first off, you just limit the food that is available to your gut. Then a lot of the uh, weed like um, uh, microbes, like yeast in particular, loves sugar, loves mm -hmm. sugar, and it also likes a an alkaline environment. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so you know, when you have a sugary alkaline envi environment, then you end up creating an overage of these weeds, and then the more deeply rooted uh, is the best way to you know continue with the uh, the analogy here. The most deeply rooted types of uh, bacteria that may be slower acting. So if we think of this as like a uh, uh, you know like your lawn, you have the you know Bermuda grass that has the deep roots, but it you know it can be overcome by too many weeds that grow fast and you know use up resources. But if you but if those those deeper rooted, slower growing uh, grasses come in thickly enough, they block out the weeds. Uh, and so there's this this sort of thing that can happen, of course, in your gut as well. And so when you're cutting off those quick sources of energy, et cetera, the types of bacteria that are beneficial happen to be the ones that are capable of uh, lasting through the fasting period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, because they, they, are, they are more deeply rooted in a certain way. In other words, they can go into a... Uh, more a better hibernate, hibernating state because they're not locust like they're not you know uh, they don't they're not they don't uh, feast on, on the trash. quick energy <laughs> sorts of things their right. their their systems of uh, you know of energy use are more long term basically well the the neat thing too is uh, there's a science traditional uh, science translational medicine um, article paper about um, intermittent fasting. Um, helps reduce diabetes associated um red, red not well point is fasting the microbiome treats diabetes 
it doesn't it doesn't really matter the deals that they that they go into uh but they essentially change the microbiome um and the the bile acid metabolism uh through fasting and it actually helps treat diabetes uh as well as uh the fact that uh gut bacteria there is a great uh, medium article on uh, why your gut microbes love intermittent fasting and i will link that as well in the patreon post uh, for this um why do gut microbes uh what what, what do um like, you know, you have circadian rhythms in your body, right? Well, believe it or not, uh, gut microbes also have a circadian rhythm. So you can actually, by doing intermittent fasting, you can not only disrupt or change your own clock, but you can change their clock too. And, uh, and that can certainly change things as well um, in terms of what bacteria stays and what bacteria goes. Um, some bacteria, for instance, uh, enterobacter arid genes is sensitive to melatonin. So, uh, you know, a variety of, of, of things that you do that change your circadian rhythm can change what happens in, in your, in your body. And, uh, so timing, wow. that and, is, that yeah. is, uh, I, you know, like timing this and quote eating. here, mm -hmm. a disruption of the microbiome circadian rhythm is associated with metabolic disease in mice and host immune cells have been shown to respond to the resident microbiota in a circadian fashion. That is fucking unreal. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, and also it, not good for the, how we are not properly, you know, keeping up with a, a circadian rhythm. That's a, we, we need to do a little more to make sure that we, we've got a good rhythm because it's uh, obviously very important. To yep. Health. Yeah. Research suggests that following a normal feeding rhythm, uh, whatever that, even if you're jet lag, for instance, can help uh, restore healthy rhythms in your gut. So there's uh, all sorts of rhythms are involved. And uh, once you get into a good intermittent fasting um, rhythm <laughs> and, and stick with it, uh, that will be the best uh, for everything. But um, fasting and microbes, there, this article is really, really long. Um, but essentially, uh, 2014 study found that intermittent fasting uh, helped uh, salmonella-infected mice to clear the pathogenic bacteria more quickly through a heightened immune response. So intermittent fasting not only helping the insulin and a variety of other things, low insulin and the health benefits that come from that, like autophagy, it also helps with your um, immune system. We did talk about intermittent fasting and low insulin specifically uh, lowering inflammation. So that's one of the ways in which you can do that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming, anyway, that that's the mechanism of this intermittent fasting. Uh, alternating, alternate day fasting for 12 weeks uh, helped salmonella-infected mice clear the pathogen bacteria more quickly. So uh, their immune system was better. A 2017 study found that alternate day fasting in mice uh, led to elevated gut microbe fermentation products, acetate and lactate, uh, which uh, in turn promote white adipose tissue browning. Now, white fat and, and brown fat, what and bat. <laughs> uh, there's another great what I learned video about that. Um, essentially, you have two types of fat in your body. One is white fat, the other one is brown fat. White fat is what makes you fat. Brown fat is what can be used for energy. So uh, the fact that uh, acetate and lactate, which had to do with, uh, so we're talking about here, alternate day fasting, led to elevated gut microbe fermentation product. So fermented things are great, by the way. Get you some kimchi, get you some kombucha, uh, some sauerkraut. That stuff is amazing for your gut bacteria. Um, now, 
Elevated gut microbe fermentation products, acetate and lactate, in turn promote white adipose tissue browning. So you are literally taking these white uh, fat cells that can't go anywhere uh, and stay as fat, and you are turning them into, you're beijing them uh, by um, turning them into usable fat because brown fat contains higher number of mitochondria and is associated with greater insulin sensitivity and metabolic health in animals and humans. So that's what they call healthy fat is brown fat. Uh, so there's just a variety of things in which uh, intermittent fasting you know, and it's gut funny that, microbes. Uh, one of the things that uh, my father raised cattle uh, is mm -hmm. one of his the things that he really uh, liked. And, and one of the things that they, that when they feed them corn, they end up with white fat. And they really, they just like that because of the way that it looks. But it's always, uh, whenever, my father was was crazy about doing stuff with uh, testing the, the, the animals and their cholesterol and the cholesterol types and you know nice. because he was he was one of the first people to create this you know health beef was his that was his thing and uh, and you know one of the things that they noticed is the difference between the type of fat that you have the fat would be brown and oh that's not as pretty uh, for cattle that are that yeah are, marbled that with are, brown uh they're grass-fed versus this nice white you know disgusting fat basically mm -hmm. for uh that's in uh you know regular uh, meat yeah. yeah that's in their well uh, feedlot cattle right, right cattle that are stressed and uh given a bunch of yeah factory farming not basically yeah. factory farming yeah so it's uh it's so funny how uh you know just basically it was people choosing form over function uh and uh, and they still do that today i mean they still want that white fat instead of the uh the brown fat that you get in in cattle and then oh and the, uh, the point i kind of forgot to get across here was that uh, that whenever he was testing uh, his cattle which were basically beefalo they were they they had in general even when they were supplemented with grain they still had more brown fat because they were a wilder type animal uh, because of the, of the bison genes that they had and so there was uh, uh, you know both the having the grass fed as well as uh, you know the, the, this other breed of animal uh, made it where he, you know, whenever he tested the meat in, in comparison, the the levels of cholesterol were different, and you know, a, a lot of different things like that were were uh, modulated by the practices that he was using. So nice. It was neat. Uh, we do have a question from one of our patrons in chat. Uh, so we're talking about Lent, which is a 40-day fast, but it goes for 46 days on the calendar because Sundays don't count. Is that type of an intermittent fasting? So if I'm understanding it correctly, uh, what we're talking about here is not eating uh, for six days and then eating on Sundays. I don't think that's um, classic intermittent fasting. I would call that, because um, traditionally intermittent fasting is either doing it for 16 to 8, so like uh, condensing all of your feeding into the 8 hours, or going every other day, as we saw in the studies with, with a lot um, of these rats. It's just fasting. I don't know anything about Lent. I don't know anything about Lent either. I just tried to look it up, but they don't say anything about not eating. Uh, it's mostly just about when it's observed in different uh, yeah, I thought Catholic that they, you churches. You gave up or... one particular thing, which seems it's somewhat irrelevant if you're, you know. Oh, you gave just one particular thing? Yeah, right. no. Yeah, that's, that doesn't really matter. Uh, right, because we're talking about all, uh, oh, not, oh, okay. Because, yeah, I know some people like give up meat for Lent or give up chocolate for Lent. So that's maybe that's the more modern tradition but okay the idea is not eating for six days and then only eating on sundays yeah that's uh, like yeah a, that's a basically a hardcore a, intermittent fasting <laughs> right that's a fast it's not even it's, it's not, it's even not even intermittent, intermittent yeah it's, it's fasting with with tiny tiny breaks to allow you to continue the fast for a long period of time which is great like. sounds yeah, great so it does, it does sound like it's a very healthy thing and it probably the, probably the reason why it's part of religion is that it does clear up your head it probably does make you 
uh, and therefore when your head people clear, say that you actually you get clear headed when you're fasting after right. first well, five and days then after the fact as well it's yeah like basically yeah, yeah. by by and then people would have more self-control and uh and, and, and they would be more you know spiritually inclined in, in other words more basically less of an animal that's just go you know uh foggy headed going after you know various fatty you know foods as well as other dopamine uh sources basically you almost certainly would end up having more self-control and all those things that are associated with spirituality after a fast so it's funny that they would so because that monks them. monks would do that yeah exactly it, may, it yeah. makes perfect sense that they they have noticed a real effect and are um they may put different terminology on what's going on but they're noticing something that is a real effect mm -hmm. and that's why that they they uh i think that's why they practice it I mean, and all the other health benefits they have with it too so basically they see it as a they see it as a spiritual practice that is healing the body when there is a very direct rational mechanical reasoning why it leads to healing the body yeah. as well as the mind yeah uh and uh, i would say that if we're talking about monks uh, that essentially not ordinary people um clarification uh, it was only monks that that fasted for for 40 days uh with sundays sunday breaks uh, and if I understand the monk culture correctly, their uh, food is somewhat limited and regimented to certain types. So that takes care of the refeeding too. It's not like uh, you fast for six days and then eat whatever the fuck you want on Sunday. Uh, on Sundays, you're refeeding re re yourself with good stuff, probably. <laughs> not going to Mickey D's and loading up on 12, uh, you know. Uh, trans fat burgers. <laughs> yeah, trans fat burgers. <laughs> no, you're probably eating some some grass from your own garden, some some oatmeal or porridge or you know whatever uh, that you grew yourself. I honestly don't know what monks eat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no clue. There's no way to know. No way to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so. Kitty has showed up. He's ready. He's ready to participate now. Yes, he is. Uh, so yeah, essentially, uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, the best way that it works in current society is uh, for people is sixteen to eight. And the way we do it personally is um, so. Another thing too, I would want to mention is the ketosis or ketogenic aspect of it is that uh, you need to replace carbs and sugars with fats. You need to start getting your source of energy from fats. So uh, paleo diet fucking go for it man like yeah grass and fatty meats and dairy that is grass-based uh grass-fed animal-based uh, as low hormone as you can get it as as local if you have a local farmer that produces dairy and and meat fucking go there otherwise a plant-based uh fat high fat yes that's what yeah, you that's need that's even better because a lot of times what you end up having if you try if you're you're having animal proteins is you end up having uh, animals that have been uh, that are they're full of stress stressful to hell they're yeah. fed shit diets so therefore they're, yeah, like they're their, their fat is 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 the wrong kind right and, they got white know, fat they, uh, uh, there's a, a variety of things you know that that basically we, we fucked it all up mm -hmm. and so so it, it doesn't work very well but i mean if you because well, the objective isn't to create healthy food it's to create the most for least amount of right, money exactly it's always the profit motive that all right everything up uh, should so, be health motive instead, but who's going to pay for that? <laughs> who's going to fund that project? Well, if we had more interconnectivity in our society between things like health, insurance, and feeding, because it's all connected, then I think we'd, people would find ways to pay for that because healthier people are more productive. Well, the point is, it's uh, a you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna say something bad about the idea of of uh, market, et cetera, it's because uh, most of the time people will choose short term. Uh, solutions over long-term solutions and short-term short-term solutions actually 
sabotage long-term effects whereas you know long-term effects are usually when you go after them they, they don't match the pursuit of short-term gains and so there's this the, this balance between short and long term where sometimes you do have to deal with short-term things you do have to take make the short-term decisions and therefore fuck up the long-term things because that's your only choice but that is the lesser choice that is the and and all throughout nature it is the more long-term thinking the more long-term planning that uh ends up making systems that work better and unfortunately the way in which market economics impact us is always short-term what's this quarter and uh and so people just did that that's that's part of the the problem with very simplistic market uh, ideas is that there yes there is a, a value to, uh, to to market ideas and ideals that are that's very powerful and useful however there is a, there's also very powerful uh, detriments that come you know whenever it's you're you're basically only focusing on short-term uh, gains and short-term effects Right. The cool thing, though, about um, and that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the the cool thing about the what I was why I'm bringing up keto is because um, if you start fueling your body with fat instead of sugar, you actually don't have that or carbs. You don't have that crash. You don't have that. Uh, I just ate um, you know Chinese buffet and I'm hungry 20 minutes later. Um, it's it's a very interesting thing, but we've personally been experiencing it with um, something like bulletproof coffee for instance where as i mentioned earlier the the most common uh fasting schedule is 16 to 8 so 16 hours not eating and then condense all your all of your eating into eight hours and people usually start with late lunch and dinner skip breakfast breakfast is not the most important meal of the day and we have personally experienced this and that's the best way for us to do it as well where you take um you add a little bit of mtc oil which is coconut oil um try a medium um chain triglycerides and um, sometimes butter, uh, well, of course, Bulletproof Coffee has a whole recipe, but essentially you add just a little bit of high fat to your coffee. Um, lately, we've, we've been preferring just, just heavy cream. And that alone, drinking a cup of coffee in the morning that it has a lot of fat in it, that's breakfast. Like I can push, and of course, with practice, you, you can uh, get better and better at pushing your uh, window of not eating longer and longer and longer. And the um, point is to stay in that ketogenic state yes. uh, so that you're not, you're not, uh, so it's so a part of. So we just drink a cup it. of coffee and then that's it. And we don't eat for like eight hours in the morning, you know? Yeah. And then, and then basically that's a kind of a cheat to, uh, yeah. that's, that's kind of halfway between a true fast and being able to have some of the same effects, which are to stay in the ketogenic state that you have in fasting. You're not, you don't actually break that, that uh, ketosis because you are only adding fats. And so that's part of why the whole bulletproof coffee thing, et cetera, can be uh, useful is because you're, you're not breaking ketosis. Right. But that also is contingent upon not overloading on carbs uh, the rest of the time. Yeah. Uh, but intermittent fasting by itself can make a huge difference. So, you know, uh, the skipping breakfast, sometimes, you know, you got to go to work. You feel like you're, you're low energy, like what the fuck? Just add a little bit of extra fat in your coffee in the morning or get a little smoothie or something with, with some, some MTC oil in it. Uh, anything you can to sort of get that that uh, source of energy through fat uh, and and that will actually help you push to late lunch and early dinner it's it's kind of uh, amazing how how much that actually helps uh, push and uh, that leads me to the next thing um, well two things I want to say I wanted to joke that uh, I, have a, I have a joke bridge that that says um, Next time you're uh, gonna go see family, uh, you can just tell them that you're fasting, and so you can't you can't go over. For... 
<laughs> you oh, can't sorry, come over for dinner because I can't, I can't come over. It's the middle of my fast. Uh, you know. <laughs> You know, do you want me to? Do you want me to age? Do you want, you want me to be unhealthy? I got to keep my fast going here. I mean, I'm sorry, I, there's nothing I can do about it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but um, there was something else of um, uh, shoot. What 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 did I just say? Um, <laughs> Talking about excuses for uh, right before that. Um, uh, shit, I don't know. Galileo, help us out here. Well, speaking of, a uh, decade of data reveals that heavy multitaskers have reduced memory. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now, multitasking <laughs> like a motherfucker. There we go. Perfect. So, uh, as I was saying, um, have a little something to help you push into your um, fast, intermittent fast. So, so tr help with pushing away that desire to eat. A little bit of fat in your coffee can, can, can go a long way with that. But there's things you can do yourself with your mind to help you push past discomfort or to help you hang on into something that you're not enjoying for longer. So we're, we're segueing now into, into family and fun uh, part of it. So, so the fun part, uh, I, I decided to add that for alliteration's sake, but, uh, but essentially we, we're going to go over some strategies to help you when you're feeling uh, stuck or in, in, in another way during this time in the winter through seasonal affective disorder uh there's it's cold um you are not socializing with people as much uh, there's more uh temptations with unhealthy foods and a variety of distractions and things during this time of year that uh, can really uh detract or be detrimental to our uh, productivity our mental health, our ability to, you know, stay healthy and happy. And so uh, one of the strategies that I wanted to pass on to you for, um, and this will help with fasting specifically, but it will also um, help with other things. Um, so it's called the five more rule. And uh, it's sort of similar to that, uh, the, the, the principle that, um, was it Mitsubishi um, uh, owner or, or there's a one of the one of the Japanese car company uh, people he he pioneered this idea that uh, if you do something for one minute every day um, you start to build a, a habit of that over a long period of time so that's one of the sort of life hacks so how to build a new habit is just do it for one minute every day and then you can increase that to one hour etc um, so this is sort of similar to that which is called um, it is called five more just five more rule um so of course it's it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the things especially right now uh, and especially now when when you're having rec uh, decreased willpower you're uh, more susceptible to temptations you're more you're less patient there's more impulsivity uh for instance uh, there's been studies found um around thanksgiving uh for instance the psychology today posted an article that what you eat as your Thanksgiving tradition actually changes how you behave on Black Friday, uh, oddly enough. It's interesting that two, those two are bedfellows because there's some people who have non-traditional Thanksgiving feasts such as pizza or like, you know, they like, uh, you know, Jewish people go out to, to, to Chinese restaurants to eat for, for Christmas. Like there's there's little tradi traditions that people have for Thanksgiving and other holidays where they don't eat what is traditional it's it's an alternate tradition and they've looked at people who have alternate food traditions as opposed to classic turkey american uh traditions and the serotonin 
But tryptophan, which is a precursor to serotonin in turkeys, actually makes people more impulsive and less patient. And so it essentially feeds right into that Black Friday madness. Uh, if you eat more traditional food, you have less self-control. Uh, so we're surrounded by things like that during holiday season. All of the turkeys are making us lose our mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so essentially what you do is put this, this just five more, uh, it is to help you regain the lost art of concentration. And concentration can help with so many other things, uh, like patience, uh, like uh, you can understand things better. If you, Patience leads to other things, like you can, you can have a better experience listening to people, you have a better experience understanding new information. There's just so much that a mental calm and patient outlook can help you achieve. And I believe a lot of that has to do with concentration. Um, on some level, there, there, is, there is a connection, I believe. So uh, this five more rule is very simple. Um, it's a way to help you concentrate better. It goes like this. Whenever you feel like quitting, just do five more. Five more minutes, five more exercises, five more pages, whatever. And it will extend your focus. And uh, it's, uh, some people call it five to thrive. Or, you know, it's cheesy, but it, but it helps remember uh, that, you know, just do five more of whatever. I personally actually do this with exercise where I do one more. Uh, I, I set a particular limit of reps to myself and then I always do an extra one. I don't know why I just do, uh, but I'm going to have to increase that to five now <laughs> that I've read this. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, essentially, um, we will be talking more about willpower in the after show. Uh, if our patrons are interested in, in that, um, I can talk about it on air instead, but, um, but you know, it's, Let's just keep things um, short because we're starting to get into our second hour now. And um, yeah, so um, just five more is another strategy. So so we mentioned strategies uh, to help with overeating in the beginning of the podcast. And, and now we kind of have another uh, tip minute um, to, to help you out with um, other aspects that may be difficult during this uh, holiday season, especially when dealing with with family or having to push past distractions and still get your work done. Uh, for a lot of people, this time of year is senioritis central. Um, not that there's necessarily a whole lot of work to be done, but sometimes, you know, you may not want to be held back by the seasonal affective disorder and a variety of other things that are bringing you down. And a quick life hack to, in the moment, uh, sort of bottom up, just to really quickly take care of that, that issue, um, help your concentration, help your patience, is just five more. And I've personally experienced that pushing past anxiety of wanting to quit, oh, that's glorious. Oh, the dopamine that you get. <laughs> the, the pleasure uh, that you get once you push past anxiety and continue staying to your task is is glorious but but how do you get there you know so this this five more is, is really a nifty little trick to, to help out with that um now i did mention that a uh, decade of data reveals that heavy multitaskers have reduced memory so it's a stanford psychologist um that's another thing too is is uh, thankfulness concentration like we're we're leading into the family and and fun sort of side of the holiday uh aspect so um when you're at a meal with your family or friends, your adopted family, whoever, um, whoever you call your family. Of course, it is common for people to have their phones out and to, to check up on it and things like that. But I would very much urge everyone, especially when you're in the family setting, especially for Christmas coming up, any kind of time period where you are meant to be spending time with loved ones, 
it, it could be a fun thing to institute a house rule where there's a bowl and everyone puts their phones into it. Uh, you know, just some sort of fun little gimmick of like, you know, uh, like in kindergarten we used to do, break the ice by, you know, introducing yourselves and saying one fact about yourself. Like getting people involved in a communal um, activity like that, that um, may be embarrassing or people may not want to participate in or whatever, actually pulling them into it and getting them involved in it uh, will be a, a very good bonding strategy. And if you especially do it for something like improving concentration uh, and on each other and on, on being thankful and on spending time with each other without distractions, uh, that can actually help your memory of all things. Um, so there's been a paper co-authored with uh, neuroscientist Melina Unkafer of University of California, San Francisco, summarized a decade's worth of research on the relationship between media multitasking and various domains of cognition, including working memory and attention. And uh, in doing the analysis, uh, the, uh, Wagner noticed an emerging trend in the literature. People who frequently use many types of media at once or heavy media multitaskers perform significantly worse on simple memory tasks. So this isn't even about like uh, using your devices to remember things for you. It is, I think, in my experience, or not, not even experience, in my learning and experience of, of knowing neuroscience and psychology, I would say that it once again has to do with concentration. That concentration and ability to expand your mental uh, capacity for attention helps you retain memory. Because I think uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is something that I've brought out uh, numerous times, that there is this, this sort of a balance between the nerdier mindset and the more social mind mindset and the more social mindset is you got to be able to come up with a quick little quip and what, what does that have to do with being able to think very broadly not very deeply but very broadly about what's you know what are what's the most social you know socially minded what's going to make people laugh what's going to be something i can just come out with really quick and uh, and that same sort of like breadth processing focus uh makes it where you know i, I don't think that this loss of memory it means that their brain is less powerful. I think it's just less unified and less, uh, you know, capable of going of of focusing on a task and, and to completion. But I'd be willing to bet they also have the ability to process a breadth of simultaneous things that is greater than people who have more concentration. Uh, and so they're they're basically they're just altering their their mindset towards a specific, um, you know, methodology. And I think that that the that basically success in society now is not based upon performance as much as it is upon social uh, climbing and social climbing has a lot to do with that kind of more monkey uh, you know perspective of you know the high school saying the right thing at the right time to stimulate the right people to see you in a, a, a better light that it doesn't have to do with thinking something through, planning it out, staying focused upon it, and thinking all of the steps into the future. Your brain is, is more laterally organized instead of linearly organized. And I think there's a, we all have to have a, a balance, but then we can become extremely unbalanced in one direction or the other and lose the, the uh, though we gain capacities in one way, we lose the abilities in the other. And I, and I think that that's our whole society now because it is more, um, 
or based on social, like I said, it, it's that, that's why it's making a lot of people lean extremely strongly towards the multitasking, mm-hmm. simultaneous thought, mm-hmm. being able to vary. I, 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 I guarantee you those people are more socially adept as mm-hmm. well. In other words, they, they really well, can... Well, it is an image of a woman holding yeah. three phones. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, can, uh, they can say the right thing at the right time to the right people because they can think about, you know, ten, ten, ten people's, you know, emotional... Uh, proclivities and how all of, what what the average of all of those would be to say the right thing in the right circumstance to please all of them simultaneously. Uh, you know, and so those sorts of uh, calculations, it's a, it's just a different mindset, and, and and our the way we have set up our society now actually re- rewards that type of mind. But of course, they're losing things like the ability to focus on mm-hmm. something, and uh, you know, and and. You'll see, you'll see that a lot of people who are multitaskers are also, they'll switch and, and whenever they focus, whenever they have difficulty, like in, uh, like in games, for instance, you'll, you'll, you'll encounter these people who will, the moment there's any difficulty, they'll turn aside. Mm-hmm. Now that, you know, to, to those. Or, or leave the match or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll, they'll quickly give up. And, you know, in a situation where, you know, you are focusing to try to, to overcome something, there's a point at which trying to overcome something isn't as valuable as quickly switching to an alternative strategy. But then there are lots of times as well that if you are switching to alternative strategies, you're simply not focusing on something that would be valuable if you put enough work into it and it would be of greater value and a more long-term value if you just stick with it through the difficulties. And so this sort of balance can become, you know, whenever you hit those extremities, you have problems. And I think that that, that our our civilization is now focusing and and narrowing people's um, brain type towards that breadth processing sort of perspective, and and they're losing the ability to uh, think more linearly, or they become so autistic they just have nothing but linear, you know, thought process. Mm-hmm. And so so it's basically making people go much more towards the edges and not be in a, in a more balanced state that people are specializing a tremendous amount towards very much to one end or very much to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so speaking of specialization, <laughs> um, actually there's, uh, some evidence. So we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving, thankfulness, fun, all of the food, fun, family, right? Um, so the fun part uh, of, of, of why I added that is uh, essentially to focus on gratitude, thankfulness, and uh, approach things in a fun new way, which actually can it can increase your enjoyment of life. Uh, so um, there's a great article here um, on Psychology Today talking about to increase your enjoyment of old things, try this method. So um, essentially the idea is... Um, well, let's let's start with an example. Uh, remember the first time you tasted some wonderful new dish, or a new flavor of ice cream, or took the first sip of what is now your favorite drink? Do you still experience the same level of of awe and thrill and enjoyment as you did then, while you're consuming these foods now? Probably not. That's probably not what is happening. And so. Pay attention. Whenever you experience something new, 
pay attention to how it makes you feel. What do you experience? How, what are all these sensations in your body? How immersed are you in that moment? Well, people have tried to recapture that first time high. Uh, through a variety of means. And uh, mindfulness, for instance, is a really good way to do that, um, which is essentially uh, mindfulness practice is not so much meditation as much. You don't just sit there, you know, quietly thinking of nothing. Uh, mindfulness is, is very active. It's quite the opposite. You, you actively pay attention to every little thing you do. In fact, we actually did a practice of this uh, as part of my college course. It was a... Um, feminist narrative of Christian um, martyrs. It, it was it was interesting, actually. I enjoyed the class. Um, the, uh, the postmodernist class I hated, uh, which was supposed to be anthropology, but the uh, the religious um, text learning uh, for, through feminist lens was actually kind of great. Uh, I learned about a lot of crazy women <laughs> in 15th century, etc., who did a lot of interesting things to the poor. But... Um, one of the things that, that we practiced, uh, it was a very spiritual class, actually. Uh, I, I'm really thankful to, to that teacher for being a feminist like feminists are supposed to be. If you're going to have any feminists at all, at least have the right, the good kinds of women, uh, the, the good feminine, which is patient, nurturing, soft-spoken, uh, but also, you know, she, she was no pushover, but she was very soft-spoken, very spiritual, um, introduced things to me that helped me to this day. So um, props, props to that professor. Uh, and one of the things that we did, uh, other than drum circles, which was fucking great too, but um, we did mindfulness practice as the monks did in, in the books that we were reading. And uh, one of the things that uh, was a specific mindfulness practice with food is a very deliberate... Now, yes, think about what you're doing, but you can aid mindfulness through your uh, physical activity which is when you're eating hold your fork as you normally would you know like or a spoon or whatever take a bite off of it put it down chew pick it back up again take another bite seems simple but just that process alone is transformative uh, the very, just the, the, the simple act of putting down your fork in between bites extends your meal time, which is actually good because it does help digestion and other things. Uh, and it helps you feel more full because one of the things that happens when you, why you overeat is you eat very, very quickly. And when your body, when your stomach tells you that it's full, it's already too late. Uh, you're already, you're actually overstuffed when you're getting that I am full signal. So slower eating can help your body send those signals earlier and give you a more accurate uh, time indicator of when you're actually full. And not to mention the uh, spiritual or the mental effects that that had. Uh, it really encourages introspection and contemplation and uh, it's just, it was a great, great mindfulness exercise. Um, simply by putting down your fork at lunch between me, between bites. It was great. Um, now, uh, there's other ways, uh, and there's a particular study that we're talking about here from the Psych Psychology Today article. It was a series of studies, actually, uh, where authors examined uh, whether eating food or watching videos in an unusual or in some way opposed to normal way can help uh, people recreate that level of first-time experience uh, enjoyment. So, uh, for instance, and, and it did. <laughs> Spoiler, it did. So um, they did a, a variety of studies. There's four of them, um, I believe, three or four. 
Yeah, four. Uh, and uh, they did things like uh, eating something in a novel way, drinking something in a novel way, and it actually helps improve your uh, appreciation of it. And uh, and I don't know if it if it renews, if it like helps you concentrate on it better because you are doing something in a different novel way, so you're having to put more effort of thinking of how to do it. So a great example is. Uh, eating popcorn with with just your mouth or like with you know sticking into your tongue and putting it in your mouth instead of using your hands or uh, for drinking water or a drink um, lapping it up like a cat instead of uh, or drinking through a straw you know just a crazy straw like any any kind of novel uh, strange upside like watching a video upside down you know like just just little weird ways in which you can approach a, a, a mundane task in a way that you never have before actually has proven to to be something that increases our enjoyment of it so uh, I think it has to do with concentration thankfulness it, it or late inhibition ultimately is what the what the at the bottom of it all is and uh, late inhibition is we've talked about that before in podcasts briefly but it is essentially something that happens to your brains where uh, you're sitting in a chair right now and you have clothes on your body, but I bet you're not feeling them. You don't constantly feel your clothes. You don't constantly feel what you sit on, your your shoes on your feet. You know, if you put your attention to it, you can feel it. But naturally, most of the time, our body just starts ignoring these things. And that's what is latent inhibition. We have, uh, they've done studies, of course, with Your mind animals. starts ignoring them. It's yeah, your mind. important part right. there. And it, and it can do it with more than just physical things. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, there have been things done with uh, multiple, so many studies of um, making rats desensitized to a noise, uh, you know, of a variety of things where you can begin or smell. That happens to people who have cats, for instance, or, or other animals. Or if you work in a vet store. Uh, after a while, uh, you stop noticing, or if, as, if you're a smoker, um, you stop noticing smells and sounds and ideas. <laughs> you stop noticing things because you have latent inhibition about it. Your body goes, or your mind goes, oh yeah, I know that, and it just kind of goes past it. It fills it in with a pre-made thing uh, instead of having to spend the time on processing it every single time it is essentially a conservation of energy that's what biology is best at conserving energy the best that it can uh, and so our brains do the same thing they start ignoring things that we've decided one way or another that it has decided is worthy of ignoring so a great way to reawaken and get that dopamine and that fresh new experience uh, sensation is by trying an old thing in a new way that'll break your latent inhibition essentially and there we have studies proving that it works for humans now um thankfulness is, is another thing uh that by itself just focus once again we're, we're, we're maintaining the concentration idea here uh focus concentration on spending time mind focus essentially uh concentrating your mind on a particular concept um expressing gratitude lower stress build social connection and improves happiness so with with thanksgiving around uh, past and you know um, christmas coming up a lot of times we end up focusing on the goodies that we can get on on the food or on the presents or on the things we get uh not things we give um and and things that we're not necessarily thankful for the things we get either because it's expected you're expected to have a big meal at thanksgiving that somebody prepares you're expected uh, you expect people to give you gifts. It's so funny how in America we've made Thanksgiving exactly the opposite. It's, it is the time in which you become you are the most gluttonous 
And the Black the, Friday thing's so weird. And then you immediately go out and, and continue to try to fill some black hole that you're creating because... inside yourself instead of being thankful and for every small thing and focusing thankful for on what you have thankfulness of and, and being satisfied. Wanting what you have instead of it's, it's, having what you want. Thankfulness is not, not encouraging in being insatiable. It's about being sated and being happy and satisfied with the, all of the good things it's in your life. It's because some marketer as it's we... because unhappy mar- people buy more and enslave themselves more. Yep, yeah. because marketers do psychology research first. That is who marketers are. They are psychologists. Yeah, Somebody the found. Like, <laughs> uh, what what the the comedian? He's dead now. What's his name? Bill Hicks. Yes, Bill Hicks. So if you're if you're a uh, marketer, kill yourself. There's no joke. No, not, not there's no, there's nothing funny here. Kill yourself now. <laughs> it's a it's great. Oh, he was so right. He was so right. Uh, that's the thing because marketers use psychology to exploit people to sell them things. So, they, well, they don't no, no, know what no, they're no, doing. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, let me let me rephrase. Marketers use psychology to make their product desirable to people because that is their job. It is their job so to make to a product desirable. Desire, which is to decrease satisfaction, satisfaction which is so to some make motherfucker saw, saw research that said that people are impulsive when they eat turkey, and he's like. Black Friday, bitches. <laughs> well, no, it's, people started just being impulsive. It probably was the other way around. Mm-hmm. People started being impulsive. And then they noticed that their biggest day. And so that's <clears throat> that's the day they need to focus on. And so there was a, it's usually, good point, good point. whenever you try to focus on whether it was the chicken mm-hmm. or the egg, you end up finding out that you, you're arbitrarily separating them and it's both at the same time. Yeah. <clears throat> but clearly here was the turkey first. <laughs> Hitting the turkey and getting that, that serotonin. I think I just uh, inhaled some water. Um, so that's fun. Can you help us out? But I am thankful for the fact that I'm not dead. So um, speaking of gratitude, <laughs> <laughs> expressing gratitude is more than just an element of Thanksgiving tradition. It is a significant contributor to happiness and well-being. Of course, it is clearly set up by religious practice. For instance, things like uh, like prayer, uh, a lot of times uh, encoded in prayer, or especially the before meal prayer, you thank God. You itadakimasu. Thank you for the food. You are thanking um, the people that made it, thanking God, thanking provider, thanking whatever you are. Essentially, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter who you're thanking. You are being thankful. You're focusing and concentrating your mind on thankfulness. So there's a reason why there's so many religious practices that cultivate gratitude because it, it can't. It can and does become a lifelong skill that can improve one's own joy. Uh, very directly. Uh, scientific literature uh, views gratitude as acknowledgement that we've received something of value and that it's the other's benevolence that gave it to us. So, I mean, think about the benefits of that. Not only are you feeling uh, thankful for what you have, so you're feeling satisfied, you're increasing your own dopamine, your satisfaction, your your happiness and well-being, but you are also seeing the other as a benefactor. That improves relations with others, that improves your expectations of others, which that can be a deciding factor in how a person will act. If you expect good of them or bad of them, that can actually Or how you get look at society. Basically, you, you end up yes. starting to feel more loved because you're yes. recognizing what is given to you. And then you become less of a cynic because cynical people are evil people. That's one of the things that people need to understand. Cynicism, cynical, cynicism is, allows for, for bad behavior. Right. It makes you, the more cynical you are, the more you believe that every bad thing you do is just justified because the other person deserved it 
And that's the, that is really the essence of how good people do evil is cynicism. And, and understanding that thing, that cynicism is basically a descent into evil, is something that has never been properly called out in a wide enough um, format. Yeah, format. It, it is, you can very directly track how a person behaves towards other people based on the way that they see other people. If they decide that other people are deserving of ill, they are deserving of bad things, they are deserving, if anything, that those those people need vengeance visited upon them. And they basically start seeing all of humanity in a way that uh, of for every single bad thing that ever happened to them by some person who did wrong, mm -hmm. they then try to get justice on all the rest of humanity be, through this mechanism of cynicism and seeing other people as deserving of ill and that you got to get yours before they get it from you and basically seeing humanity in a bad fashion that is the mental essence of aging that's what mm -hmm. aging every Back person aging. <laughs> is constantly being tempted to become more and more and more cynical as they age and an extremely aged mind is an extremely cynical mind and an extremely cynical mind is an extremely evil mind and that's the thing that people don't understand where good people go mm, bad yeah. that is how that is the very source the mechanism the way it happens loss of innocence <laughs> it is the loss of innocence and guess what what is it that we've been talking about this entire time that why a cell needs to die because it's lost innocence? Why it is that that creatures die and why death itself exists loss is the loss of, of innocence through over-specialization. Right. And that's what cynicism is, is over-specialization to negative events. And so basically the essence of death, of heading more and more into a death-like state is cynicism and so people need to understand this connection is crucial that that's what an aged mind is that's what an a, a mind that eventually is more deserving of basically being eliminated because it is becoming a cancer in society is a cynical mind yep and uh so yeah i, I love that aspect that when we express gratitude we essentially acknowledge a link between ourselves and others you cannot express gratitude without acknowledging that someone gave you something uh, thankfulness is, in its very core, uh, something that bridges a divide between people. Um, so we essentially recognize someone else's actions that had a meaningful impact on our lives. And not only does that help you feel thankful to them, but it helps you feel loved by them. Because when you acknowledge that someone has done something for you, you acknowledge that they care about you. And so that's another life hack when you're feeling alone, lonely, unloved. Uh, look at the little things, like somebody held the door open for you, uh, a cashier smiled at you. Like, yeah, it's insignificant, but it could have been worse. You know, like it, it is it is them giving you something. You it can be a tool to to help you focus on to improve your feelings of isolation. Now, Clearly, uh, this is a meaningful thing for relationships. Um, we often view uh, gratitude as an act of kindness towards other people. So we're, we're, by thanking them, we are sort of doing something for them in, in a way. Uh, but there's tangible benefits to the self uh, by being thankful. So scientific findings have shown that expressing gratitude towards others helps us cope better with stress. Uh, there's a study, for instance, in 2013 by Fredrickson uh, that showed that expressing gratitude builds social bonds and establishes pro-social behavior, 
which actually helps lower stress. And so that's the way that mm -hmm. self, that, that what we're talking about here is the mechanism by which selflessness becomes, it, it is a selfish thing mm -hmm. in a way that it is, it provides because there's benefit for the self. For self. Right. And that's what people don't, under, don't typically focus on is how there is a selflessness. There is a, uh, what's it called? They, they call it something in, in market economics where it's a rational self-interest. Mm -hmm. Rational self-interest is being selfless many times and that's the part of simplified uh oversimplified game theory where they where they had not yet developed game theory properly yeah because that's the part that they didn't grasp yeah reciprocal altruism is what they were missing yep. um and reciprocal altruism actually benefits both it benefits the system it benefits by system i mean the group it benefits those who cooperate um, uh, there's individual cooperation, uh, individual competition, game theory, and then there's group competition, game theory. And so it, it was called evolutionary game theory because we are never alone. Nobody is ever an individual unto themselves, you know, floating in the vastness of space and vacuum. Uh, that's just not a thing. We are fundamentally interconnected. So we are arranged in groups, whether it's your nuclear family, whether it's your school class, whether it's your local community, whether it's your well, political party. On, on civilization itself. All yes. these people who think that they're independent and they're utterly dependent upon civilization. And it, it's just a, there's this extremely unrealistic uh, ideology that goes with rugged individualism. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're, you're not nearly as individual as you think you are and there and your lack of thankfulness it makes you a shitty person when you're uh, when you're not thankful for exactly how much it is all of these other people are providing for you. Yep. Uh, in addition to though, uh, we're talking about societies in general or groups and, and especially the, the climate that we live in currently, uh, expressing gratitude can actually reduce negative social comparisons. And if anything, especially the younger people, I feel like that is the biggest struggle uh, to self-esteem, therefore mental health. Uh, that we have uh, currently is uh, everyone's um, incentives to create the most attractive version of themselves in their lives to put up for um, public consumption and that can create envy and negative social comparison and a focus on who has a better position who doesn't and that sort of social minded hierarchy minded stress and envy can be extremely detrimental to health. Um, so, uh, for instance, rather than looking up at better off others with jealousy, um, and things like that, when you are thankful for things in your life, gratitude can actually help reduce envy, helps build joy. And then you just don't even care about those who, you know, you're not so worried about what other people are doing because you are satisfied and happy in your life. You're not looking for something else and seeing other people have it and then begrudging them for it. Um, and this, you know, uh, has other implications as well. Um, spiritual leaders like Dalai Lama, uh, Desmond Tutu, and others um, essentially credit uh, and advocate for thankfulness as a lifelong happiness, um, an element of lifelong happiness. Now, of course, focusing on others' benevolence rather than their possessions or positions um, expressed in gratitude can reduce materialistic strivings and increase our concern for each other's welfare as people. So essentially, by, by focusing on what other people do for you, you kind of start to forget what everyone has and just focus on being there for each other, which I feel like we really need in, in this current climate. 
Um, there's actually considerable research uh, shown that a focus on materialism leads people to experience less life satisfaction, have lower self-esteem, and greater depression. And that was done by Kasser and Kanner in 2003. So, like, we've known this since 2003, people. <laughs> so, uh, essentially, by reflecting on social benevolence, uh, we can think less about things and focus more on our connection to each other. You, you know, what's funny is all the things that we're talking about are the virtues that are usually, uh, you know, exhorted in most religions. Yep. And there's a reason why religion was It's written about, not necessarily practiced. <laughs> right. Why it was useful, why it continued for such right. a long time. Why it survived, time, yeah. Because of its benefit to society. It, that's the reason why it, and that's why we see these things as general moral goods because there is a mechanism by which they work they're they're effective happiness problem solving strategies for complex phenomena of civilization yep so how do we uh, how do we do this how do we how do we thankful <laughs> how do you thankful well um uh from personal experience uh and more than personal experience but my my training um in neuropsychology writing things down um or praying at night uh or essentially going over a list of things that you're thankful for before bed every night that can make a world of difference um so essentially uh what psychology today recommends here um let's let's see what they say so one set aside a few minutes to count one's blessings and write them down yes i completely agree with that uh literally just listing the positive things in your life and then actively thinking about them reflecting on them uh, can enhance gratitude and positive definition of yourself that you, you can actually feel like you have something worth you know living for that you have things that are going well for you uh it doesn't matter if it's if it's little if it's just you know you, your cornflakes tasted good that morning you know just anything at all that brought you joy or that made you feel blessed or if you think about what are the things that you're thankful for that you you know would have a worse life if you didn't have them or people what activities what have you um, i would recommend doing this before bed uh, but you can do it at any time at lunch whenever or maybe when you're feeling stressed or lonely or alone um, and that actually that actually is the hardest time to do it in but you get the most benefit out of doing it then um, now, two, what did they say? Write a couple of gratitude letters and visit the recipients to read the letters out loud to them. Oh my God, I'm getting emotional just reading this. Uh, wow, um, imagining actually doing that, I'm literally overcome with tears. Um, I, I feel like that could be a really, really strong thing to do, um, particularly towards men in your life, which could be a little awkward because men are awkward when it comes to expressions of emotion around them but that doesn't mean they won't gain a great deal from you doing it uh so yes that's i agree with that recommendation definitely write a letter of gratitude and don't just send it to them but yeah go over and read it out loud and i guarantee you there will be tears hugs oxytocin it'll be beautiful and if there isn't cut that person out of your life um, I, I will that. be talking about that later. No, no. I mean, like when uh, you have to re realize that people will act awkward when they don't know what to do with their emotions. So don't read too much into it. But when you come at someone, particularly a woman, uh, when you come at someone and you express your gratitude to them and you show them, you bear your soul to them and your emotions and they meet it with a stony silence or in some way brushing it off. That can tell you 
more than you may have wanted to know about that person, which I think is is beneficial. Uh, but I don't I don't think that's something you need to worry about. Uh, I feel like I just want to put exactly. I want to put that out there just in case that does happen, and you're going to be mad at me because I told you to do this and then it didn't work out. <laughs> but you know, at least you learn something about them. Uh, but I, I highly doubt that'll be a common thing. I'm pretty sure it's going to be an exception. Now, third thing they suggest is invest in others. Um, research by Dunn um, in 2008 shows that spending money on others rather than on oneself maximizes happiness. The research shows that spending even small amounts of money, five to twenty dollars, on others makes people happier than spending the same amount of money on oneself. So Patreon.com/AnnaCherry, um, help out this podcast uh, for you. Give us money for yourself. Science <laughs> says that's what it is. That's that's gonna it's do science. it. It's, it's scientifically science, supported. Yep. When we spend money on others for even small things, such as buying a friend a coffee, leaving an anonymous flower on a coworker's desk, it not only brightens somebody else's day, but it actually improves our own well-being too. And uh, I personally experienced this with tipping. And now I'm against tips uh, in general because I believe restaurants should be paying their workers a livable wage. But if we have a minimum basic income, that won't be a problem. Um, but I did read an article that get, I've never really been a waitress that, especially at the time when I didn't need money when I was a waitress, I did it for funsies, uh, at the flying saucer. If anyone knows the flying saucer, shout out, um, great uniforms, uh, for their bar girls. But, um, yeah, I didn't need money. So I was just doing it for funsies. Uh, so it didn't really matter if I got tipped or not. Uh, however, I read an article from the, that was essentially a perspective of people who are living working waiters and waitresses and um something really stuck with me since then where it demonstrated how much someone's day can be made with just 35 extra dollars or what have you um having a tip a larger than 15 percent tip just that alone can make someone feel so much better than they were feeling and i crave to make people feel better than they were feeling <laughs> so um, I get um, obsessed sometimes with, with, with leaving a larger than necessary tip, particularly if there was service that was good, um, because I know that will make their day. And that gives me joy. I do it for me. I don't really do it for them. I do it for me. It also makes me feel rich when I just give big tips, uh, especially when I have no money. <laughs> it really alleviates the stress of lack of finances and, and things like that, the, the stress that comes with financial issues, we, we all have been there. Um, it really, really alleviates that stress uh, when I just give, um, which is counterintuitive because it's like, well, you have less money. Why would you feel better? It's magic of investing in others, I guess. Now, uh, speaking of uh, people who um, you may need to cut out of your lives, <laughs> but can't because they're family. Um, you need to stop talking about that. That's... Uh, you know, that's... Yeah, that that's so specific to uh, yeah, particular to, to very particular, particular cases cases that you it's not you know. Something but it just like, so happens that our audience does tend to be skewed towards those people. People who've been abused. Yes, yes we we been, right. Um, I I there is a particular approach. It's, but it's so uh, and it's such an exception. It, yeah, exactly. It's better. It's so much better to promote connection mm -hmm. than to promote disconnection. Well, this, uh, you know, uh, this is what this is about. It is essentially uh, holiday strategies for dealing with difficult family members. 
it is a ways to help you have patience with others, with yourself, uh, and get the benefits of that social connection, even if when things aren't super perfect. Um, and, and, and I really appreciate pundits and, um, political, uh, talking heads or, or the commentators on, on the alternative media sites like YouTube and, and others, um, who try to bridge that divide between the, the political parties or between, uh, ideologies or what have you, because, Ultimately, at the end of the day, we all need each other. We're all still people. And it's so much better to come together and even have disagreements or, you know, hash out disagreements or not even worry about it and just focus or bond on things that you do have in common. Uh, it, it can be important at times to delineate what is valuable ideas, what isn't. But a lot of times it's very subjective. It's There's very little research and any kind of science that is that you can point to that is being provided by the political opposition parties you're really not getting any uh here's evidence why my position is better it's all of it is just virtue signaling and feels and uh, emotions and, and opinions and beliefs that are based on tradition and opposing traditions there's really no strong evidence that is being presented by either side a lot of times so just both of you shut the fuck up and hug like, don't worry about it. Like, forget about those things that you want to disagree on and find things that you can agree on because at the end of the day, that is just a better way of being. That is a better strategy. Uh, so here are some ways to help you out, uh, how to deal with difficult family members, particularly with Christmas coming up, or if you're still traveling or involved with family, or if you're dealing with PTSD over Thanksgiving weekend. If, if you spend time with family and you're feeling low, lower than you have before, uh, because of interaction with people that may have attitudes and ideas about you and, and life that are just not compatible with what you need to stay happy. Um, the, here are some things you can you can employ to sort of work out some of that pain um, or some of that stress that, that you experienced and maybe look at some of the experience you had in a different light. Maybe try to find ways... To, to have patience for them. So so here's some strategies. We got uh, five, five and a half strategies. <laughs> so first one is the empathy strategy. And I'm a big proponent of that one. If you can, try to do that. <laughs> try to do the empathy strategy. So uh, how you do that is you anticipate potential areas of conflict, prepare and practice a calm and simple level-headed response based on empathy rather than defensiveness. So, um, I'm not, I don't have like a, an easy example for that, but essentially if somebody is, is judging your choice on, um, not, not having family, for instance, like, if, you know, a grandmother or whoever is like, oh, when are you going to give me grandkids? Like, you know, when are you going to find somebody? Like, let's say something like that. Uh, you can see it through an empathy perspective of, oh, this person believes that their entire value, that their whole benefit to society, that their whole value as a person has to do with producing children or finding a mate or, and, and that's sad. You, that's, that's sort of, you can sort of look at it as like, oh, um, you're just imposing your own insecurities on me. And, and that's that and if you can see a person's innocence yeah. instead of it as an attack and realize they're just so focused on their own thoughts, they right. can't, they, sometimes they just don't have room to understand how it affects you. 
it's just not even there. It's not, it's, they, they can't see it as much as like, you know, they're, they're completely blind to it and understanding that idea of them being utterly, perfectly, completely blind to what they're doing uh, is difficult. But uh, if you can, if you can do it, it, uh, it helps with a level of forgiveness that is beneficial to you. Uh, well, they give an example. That's good. Good for them. That's actually a great example. So let's say, um, speaking of fasting and diet and all that, let's say your diet means you can't eat some of your family's traditional holiday food. And so you anticipate that there's going to be a criticism. Actually, I personally deal with this. Whenever I visit my family, they give me rash shit for not eating meat. So instead of getting angry that they're disrespecting you and your choices, you can consider the fact that they may be feeling hurt because you are rejecting them. You're not only rejecting what they made for you, which is kind of hurtful because they spent the time making it, but they can also see that as a criticism of who they are, particularly with diet. People take that shit personally. So, so they can essentially see it as a, either a rejection or criticism of who they are because you're saying, no, I will not do this thing that you all are doing. That can be hella hurtful. So you, you can better than me. Exactly. So you can think <laughs> of it as like, uh, and here's an example of, of what they give. So you can diffuse the situation by pleasantly saying something like, although I don't eat X, I appreciate that you continue our family holiday traditions and my diet doesn't change how happy I am to be part of this family. So let's not let it come between us. Beautiful. Well done. Gorgeous. Love it. Uh, and yeah, I would highly recommend this strategy uh, for just all day, every day. Um, this has been one of the most transformative things for me personally in, in uh, letting go of, of cynicism in uh, growing as an intellectual essentially uh, being able to grow as a person and in your knowledge um, requires not just empathy, but also uh, the flip side of empathy is um, allowing for being wrong. <laughs> so that's essentially what you're doing by empathizing with others. You are, instead of saying, I am right, my opinion is the only opinion, what I think is the truth, that can sometimes be detrimental to growth. So a lot of times. So what you can do is instead considered that there may be another opinion, another approach, another way of looking at it. And that by itself can actually help with, with latent inhibition that I mentioned earlier. It can help with increased brain plasticity. A variety of things get baked into this approach to life uh, that I recommend to everyone. Um, and ultimately, okay, let's say someone is an asshole and they're doing something, they're doing a lot of bad things you don't have to forgive their behavior. You can still condemn and not associate and not do yourself behaviors that you find bad, but the person you can still empathize with. And empathizing with them will make it where you can more readily recognize how it is that they got to that shitty place mm -hmm. where they think that their behavior is okay. And if you can then identify what it is that they are thinking that allows them to think that that behavior is okay, and you can really get into it and see it from their perspective that what they, that they think what they're doing is good and not bad, then that allows you to escape the trap that they have fallen into. And that's what's important is that you not fall into the exact same traps because you see them in some simplistic fashion of, oh, they're just evil and I would never, which is bullshit. Instead, you can see the mechanisms that get them to the place that where they are, where they're doing the things that they are doing. And then, and then you can really actually avoid them instead of through some bullshit 
you know, idealization of who you are, you can instead see it for what it really is and avoid the trap. And that I would never aspect is how we end up with the horseshoe between feminists and certain um, meninists, let's say. Because they're not exactly men's rights activists, but you know the red pill, the black pill, the the, the sort of that uh, the incels actually, the black pill incel community. A lot of times when you read their stuff, it's like one of those. Who said this? Did, did a feminist say this, or did I? You know, it's like uh, Sargon used to play that game, Nazi or feminist. It's kind of like that with uh, with some black pill um, individuals and feminists, radical feminists. You have a horseshoe. Why? Because they refuse to empathize with the other. And those who have the capability to empathize should. <laughs> so I don't know if I don't know if Radfems have the capacity to empathize, um, but I would hope that maybe some people on our side can still do that um, and look at it and and essentially don't be afraid to empathize. You will not lose your judgment of their behavior. Don't worry about it because there's two ways in which you judge behaviors and 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 uh stand up against behavior you have an emotional reaction to it that says no that's wrong and then you have a cognitive reaction that says no that's wrong because of all of these different things so what you're doing is you're getting rid of that knee-jerk emotional reaction by empathizing with others you but of course the horseshoe happens because we say no they're feminists and i would never be like that because i'm not a feminist it's like yes but you're still falling prey to the same the same mental traps uh, in logic and reasoning and emotionality that they do. So if you can empathize with how they got there, you can yourself better see the same pitfalls in your own reasoning. And then all you're left with is your rational view of they're wrong because they hurt society like this, this, and this, but getting rid of that emotional knee jerk, they're evil. I hate them. They're the other, they suck. That's extremely beneficial to your own personal growth. I would say. So, uh, yeah, don't worry that you will suddenly become a feminist lover or whatever because you empathize with the other. It won't happen. Trust me, it won't. What all you're doing is getting rid of that toxic emotional reaction that we all need to have less of. We all get these judgy emotional, um, the other uh, reactions to things. And goal is to lessen them as much as possible and to only have our rational slower um, thinking involved, uh, not the instant quippy, like um, instantaneous decision-making. In fact, what we need to focus on is the more long-term, slower, deeper, thorough thinking and critical thinking and rationally looking at something. So if someone is truly wrong if their behavior if their attitudes are truly wrong and you can list how they are that's all you need you don't need to have an emotional reaction that they're bad like you don't need that that actually impedes their growth so it's much more important to really like most people they think that they empathize when they just say oh i'm empathizing i see that they're evil you know it's like i empathize in that they're crazy uh, no, that's not empathy. Uh, empathy is really seeing it from a perspective where you can say, yeah, I would do the same thing under that sort of thought process and that sort of 
if I if I think about this for a second, if I could see like for instance that they're getting even, that they're taking revenge, and they and you know things where you would really see how your feelings would lead you in the wrong direction, and you could feel it too. That's like okay, I can feel that. I can feel how that that's actually empathy, and that is what the process that gets you to understand how their thought process goes wrong. And being able to do that is not a common thing, and people who a lot of times people don't understand how to do it at all. They just do they, And so being able to practice doing that uh, is, is an important part of improving your own um, strategy, I guess, is the best way to put it. Improving your own ability to not become the thing that you believe is wrong. Yep. So, yeah, a lot of these, even though they seem to be for the benefit of the other, they actually end up benefiting yourself. Um, there's a reason why love, altruism, things like that, why they've existed and lasted and brought us here. All those things. Yeah. All those yeah, attitudes yeah. from religion, they have a reason for existing. They, they actually were beneficial. There was something that they were, you know, talking about that made sense. And just because it doesn't immediately occur to you why it makes sense doesn't mean there, there isn't a mechanism. Yep. Um, now, that's the best strategy, I think, the empathy strategy. Now, they have a few more options. Uh, number two, the shut it down strategy. And that can work with some of your um, more aggro <laughs> family members. So if you anticipate negative comments about your appearance, politics, gender identity, sexual orientation, anything else, you may want to prepare and practice a simple, a simple, uh, a simple but tactful phrase to douse that spark. So try to deliver your message in a smooth, pleasant tone. And don't just pre like that's another trick too is is or how to uh, essentially they, they, they keep mentioning say things in a pleasant way. Well, how do you do that? How do you say things in a pleasant way when you're pissed? Uh, like how do you and a lot of times if, if you say things that you think you're sounding nice, you end up sounding passive aggressive. There ends up people end up seeing through it. So what you have to do is you have to actually mentally reorient and realign yourself and you have to mentally go okay actually try to feel pleasant in your mind if, if you have to think of it as talking to someone else other than your dad or whoever or uh whatever it is try to substitute that person with another person that you would not have this uh, you know reaction to whatever you got to do to actually feel pleasant in your mind so the way to shut it down and i've had to do this personally as well when it came to um our sex work for instance my parents are chill with it but they still sometimes will bring it up and be like why do you have to do that so gotta shut it down you go like example dad it's not a lifestyle choice it's not a lifestyle choice it's who i am or whatever that's shitty why would you say it's not a lifestyle choice you are you're you're allowed to have your lifestyle choices <laughs> essentially but they're saying dad it's not a lifestyle choice it's who i am but let's move on so we can have a nice holiday or i can't say i agree with you but let's put it aside and focus on having a good holiday so essentially that's just be like okay uh let them know that some topics are off the table you'll be like sorry I... uh, the lifestyle choice is a reference to homosexuality i realize that but but still like i what's wrong with saying this is my lifestyle choice fucking accept it you yeah. know <laughs> like yeah, i don't see true, why exactly. that's <laughs> why that's a problem <laughs> well because in certain cases they want to express how much it, it is, is intrinsically who they are right. which i mean to be fair porn is my lifestyle choice but it is who i am 
I am a nudist. I want to arouse people. Like, it, it's both. I like to be naked for many reasons. I, I crave it. It is who I am. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, but you have to do that sometimes. You can just tell them, look, certain topics are off the table. I'm sorry if we if you keep pushing it, you are... Why are you doing this? Do you not want to have a good holiday? Do you want to have a fight? Do you want to disrespect me? Can we just please not talk about some things? And so that could be a good shut it down strategy for, uh, you know, if, if, if empathy doesn't work, uh, which sometimes it can't because people are just set in their ways and they have no real reason to to believe what they believe. And yeah, and sometimes you, you, you just uh, the, the strategy for that is basically break out of the conversation yeah. and talk about the conversation. Don't engage in the conversation. Talk about the conversation itself. And so you say, OK, so what exactly are we going to accomplish here? How is this going to benefit us? What is the value of this conversation we are having right now? Uh, and if you can, a lot of times, whenever somebody is trying to engage you emotionally, or not even trying to engage you emotionally, but just ends up they are engaging you emotionally. You the you have to stop talking about stop the talking topic. in the conversation and start talking about, about the conversation. Yep, good. That's really good advice. And so there, it, it it starts becoming, you know. Uh, you stop thinking about what they're saying and start thinking about what they're doing with the words. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's the that's the important part of kind of breaking an emotional engagement. Yep. So that's that's uh, related to that. Uh, if you um, can't exactly shut it down when it's an elder or uh, in a variety of ways, that might cause more problems by saying, let's not talk about this time. I just egg them on. You know, you have a variety of people. So we have to account for all different types of people. So um, another strategy, number three, is to be like a duck. Let it roll off your back like water on a duck. Now, sometimes, you know, it is unfair to sour the holiday experience for everybody by getting into it with just one single contentious family member. Like, it's not your fault either, but once you engage in a back and forth, then you are both involved. You are then half responsible for what's going on. Sure, they may have started it, but you are continuing it. So this is a difficult one. But some of us have practiced at this, and this could be a good opportunity for you to practice. So. Being a duck is easier if you don't personalize offensive or hurtful comments. So it's sort of like the empathy strategy, but, you know, without thinking too much about that other person, because sometimes they're just unempathizable with in, in, in some ways. Uh, you, you just, you know, sometimes the, the divide is just too different, particularly between generations. There are certain um, particularities that, you know, you, you just, and, and they're older, they're stuck in their ways. There's just a variety of things that you can't, Empathy alone won't just bash through. Empathy alone isn't enough. Like, sure, you empathize with them, but it still hurts, right? So what do you do? Um, try to not personalize it. Remind yourself it really isn't about you. It really isn't. It's so not about you. Um, you can use soothing self-statements, uh, things that you say to yourself, um, or if you have a happy place even, or, or whatever. Deep breaths. Actually, it's surprising how much um, you can alleviate anxiety by uh, input of oxygen. Just taking a big deep breath can actually help. Um, and you can say self-statements like, she has an alcohol problem. She has hurtful, she says hurtful things when she's drunk. It's not about me. Or he is old fashioned. Today I'll give him a pass. Um, you know, preparation definitely also helps here. And there is also kind of a feel when you're being the bigger man, you, there's kind of a feeling of superiority that, uh, that 
takes you out of it where you feel like you're dealing with a child. And so it's like you can forgive a child who's being a naughty little shit uh, because it's like, oh, whatever, who cares? You, you, you know, They're you, undeveloped. It's, it's, exactly. And so, the, you know, though you don't want to continue to always be feeling superior, there is a time and place for things where it's like when you're being the bigger man, you're being the bigger man. That's all there is to it. And when you're, you know. Uh, and, By and definition. So, yeah. so you are factually being more, even if it's your parent, you're being more the parent. And uh, and uh, that's that just kind of understanding that, that could be time, very satisfying. Yes, it could be satisfying and calming, and also lead you to more loving behavior. Because a good parent now don't be a, don't be a shit parent. If you're going to put yourself in that position, then be a good parent. And a good parent is a loving, patient, uh, you know, uh, type of uh, character. Not a I'm bigger than you, so I can shove you around, and you're worthless. That's not a that's not a good parent. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so speaking of um, uh, not good parents, or no, if you perhaps had um, some siblings that you grew up with, or there's cousins, or or just friends that you can you can use, strategy number four is the buddy system. So stay close to someone who can serve as a buffer between you and a challenging family member, and who you can have fun with. So having just a little extra support um, that you've you know agreed to beforehand to like you know stay stay close to your buddy. And, uh, and that, that can help a lot too, uh, to, to help you feel connected and that someone's on your side and that, you know, you won't feel so hurt by uh, the, the attacks because essentially uh, what these attacks do is they make you feel alone and isolated from your social group, which to our instinctual selves means death. Um, we cannot survive on our own. Uh, we're traditionally, we haven't been able to, well, <laughs> currently we can't survive on our own without civilization. We just can't. So... Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that activates that primal fear of isolation. Uh, and as gregarious animals, that is one of the biggest threats. So having a buddy can really help you feel connected. Strategy number five, stay away. Yeah, the holidays are about family, but having healthy boundaries sometimes may mean staying away. That's, that's for those cases where you just are in a bad place or are you, you're still overcoming some things and your mental health just a, or a sobriety thing. can't. Yeah, there's Can't a, there's, handle sometimes it. the holiday itself is a toxic mix. Mm -hmm. And what you can do is if you don't want to, you you don't want to feel bad about not being with stressed. family, but you also don't want to deal with that whole holiday of where there's too many things that they're stressing about getting the food done on time and then getting cold and the, all the just the all dumb the shit that happens the, yeah. with you know, trying to coordinate some big yep. event and you just don't want to deal with that. You can, instead of feeling bad about it, you can promise yourself to visit later and just don't make the holiday. You know, make, make a holiday Come sure. before the holiday. Come Make a after. holiday visit where you yeah. are like for your own holiday right. on your own terms. Yeah, it's on your own terms. It's on, in a, a position where it's less stressful, where it's not you don't have to do a certain thing at a certain time. We are all and you know there's all this coordination bullshit that's stressing everybody out. Uh, you know, instead doing making it less formal, but still you know getting the thing done that the holiday is supposed to do. That way you don't have to feel guilty about skipping it. And you can still promise yourself that it's like, okay, there's kind of a, I, you know, haven't seen them in a while. I should, you know, do this mandatory visit thing, but at least you can eliminate some of the other shit. So you can promise yourself to, to do, to, you know, still do the holiday visit, but just not necessarily on the holiday itself. Yep. And, uh, some of us, particularly, um, Particularly or just some, don't do it at all. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there is a there is a time to just stay away and you know make a call if you if that if you need to or just don't 
you know, don't feel uh, obligated. Sometimes if you're, if it's just so toxic that all it does is bring them down, bring you down, then you need to look at the overall good of, for both of you. And then and that is sometimes to not, you know, if you, if you have cut off family because it was absolutely necessary, sometimes that is, well, while it's difficult, you need to understand it is the, the best thing if that is what you've had to do. Yep. And I feel like some of our viewers in particular, um, some, some patrons even, have an experience of the the guilt guilt is such a powerful weapon especially um i feel like men really are susceptible to to guilt um a lot of times and so so you feel obligated to do these things and uh you may not even um be aware of how toxic it is but you may be quite aware of how toxic it is but you're still are feeling compelled by the guilt and so you're stuck in this decision making process of what do i do do i allow the guilt to control my behavior and and alleviate that pain um and give my family something that they may want or do you do what's necessary for yourself um what you know what do you do so here's some things that that you can you can ask yourself to help you figure out what decision do you make to help you figure out whether or not it's worth maintaining your mental health as it is or if you can take a hit of seeing the family and and dealing with 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 that and thereby alleviating the guilt and knowing that you were a good son or whatever so uh which of course is ridiculous um i believe and and everybody struggles with this i think who have parents that they may have had to had difficult relations with at times um you yep. feel guilty let me interject something mm -hmm. here it's like you are talking about what the guilt is has right. to do with self-value which has to do with these deep-seated things right. uh, that feeling are connected valued to family by, yes. and fe feeling valued by people and so there is, uh, uh, it is okay to be selfish about charity. Uh, understand that, you know, uh, that it's just like you enjoy giving a hug as much as getting it. You know, you know, th th there's nothing wrong with enjoying getting a hug and by, and when you're giving one. And the same thing is true of charity and things like that. But there is absolutely zero, you, you, that idea that you shouldn't gain any pleasure from charitable acts is fucking stupid. Uh, you you need to have pleasure. You need to have reward from doing things the right that, that are that are good and right and valuable. And so one of the things that you can do to boost your self esteem is in place of if you're having to if you're wanting to still feel the love and companionship of human connection is actually doing some sort of charity work and feeling good about yourself for bringing some happiness to other human beings. And uh, and so there. Sorry, is... I can't come to dinner, Mom. I'm uh, volunteering at the soup kitchen. <laughs> exactly. And, oh my God, you could even do that. So so there's a there is a there's nothing no not the slightest t t tiniest hint of taint to feeling good about doing what is right. You should always. It makes feel good. you feel good. That's you what it make neurochemically sure to feel does. Good about doing what's right. And yeah. so the, so the, the the value that you get from doing charity work should be you should revel in it. You should enjoy it. And, uh, and and you can use that as a uh, alternative because you know what more charity work needs to be done so you know if if if, if feeling good about yourself is going to boost more work being done for those who need it like veterans like homeless who are often veterans uh do it yeah my god the number of homeless people who are veterans is, is absurd yeah um i will actually probably link some um 
some veteran um, help um, things in, in, in the low bar, in fact, it, once I find it, as well as a Patreon post, because they, if, if anyone needs help, and deserves also, it. There's people... also nursing homes yep. uh, where, where they older, need, mm-hmm. right? Older communities. There's a there's a lot of people who you can do uh, children. You can you can mentor. You know the, the 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 big brothers and sisters club. Yeah. So there's a variety of ways in which you can find something that will basically give you help pets human, animals. Yeah. Well, you see, you will you still work with other humans still, who love yeah, animals, right? But yeah. There, there's something to also volunteering at the pet shelter. Uh, and that that can be valuable. So. You know, they they did that for Fourth um, of July. A bunch of people instead of celebrating, they all went down to uh, the pet shelter to keep company to to the dogs that are scared by the fireworks. So oh. <laughs> yeah, so there's uh, pictures of just a bunch of people hanging out next to crates of, of puppies. Um, so yeah, that because you meet like-minded people when you volunteer. Another uh, thing I would suggest is meetups. Um, for instance, I signed up to meetups and I constantly get emails about a thing in my area about help with public speaking, a, a fucking brunch group, um, gaming and, and, and beers night. Like there's so many meetups people crave to get together and uh, and you can do that very easily through meetups. But uh, back to the, the family bed with the guilt, if you're having to struggle with guilt, which, which essentially what guilt is, is fear of loss of social connection. Once again, we're back to that fear yeah, of that's where, that's where lack guilt, of connection. If you, if you look at evolutionary terms, the reason why human beings experience guilt has to do with the, uh, has to do with social, you know, social connection. Yep. So you can ask yourself questions like, is my mental health or sobriety solid enough to handle a situation? Do I have a strong support system in the form of a therapist, family member, friends, romantic partner, someone who will be there for me uh, through this or after this? And what is my current level of stress and do I need to downtime during the holidays? So those are three simple questions. Find out how, try to assess how strong are you at the moment. Uh, assess if you have any kind of support group and assess how stressed you are. And if all of those come up green, then you can go ahead and, and, and try to engage and, and go towards the side of spending time with family. If all of those are coming up red, it's just, it's not worth it. It's going to make yeah, you feel bad. Make it's going to make them feel bad. It's going to make yeah your relationship worse, perhaps, depending on how stressed you are. You could, because, you know, uh, like they say in space, you can't, uh, nothing is so bad that can't be made worse. <laughs> so... Um, in family gatherings, nothing yes. is so bad that it can't be made worse. Exactly. <laughs> it's so, like space. <laughs> it's just like space. And lastly, um, get very intoxicated strategy. No, kidding. Avoid <laughs> the get very intoxicated strategy. Uh, getting a little intoxicated can help ease the holiday, but sometimes, most of the time, people drink to excess yeah, and when it, they're and stressed. If, you, if you're prone to drink to excess, you will. If you pull to the right, shoot left. If you are prone to to get uh, uh, intoxicated more than you intend, then expect that you will in a stress, stressful uh, situation like your uh, family, and just don't do it. Don't start. It's it's kind of like the uh, don't don't go and buy the sweeties at the store, and you won't have to worry about whether or not you have the willpower later. It won't be there for you to have to have willpower. Same thing with the you know just don't <laughs> just don't even start yep uh, so your ability to act maturely choose your words carefully and override your defensiveness is all shot to hell and compromised by intoxication especially extreme intoxication and when you have multiple people that are extremely intoxicated on one hand uh yeah everyone may forget 
that what happened. <laughs> but on the other hand, you can you can end up in a fight, and it's just like it can cops can get called, and yeah, it's just not it what be, you want. Yeah, exactly. In in some some circumstances, it could be life altering. <laughs> right. So um, you know, try to try to avoid that. And if you need some some dopamine source, get your get you a buddy. If you don't have a buddy. Just fucking go and emotionally eat. Just fucking do it. Like, if you're having an intoxication problem uh, and you're aware of that, j- just load up on sugar and fat yeah, and protein time. that one time. Just go ahead and <laughs> do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes, uh, you know... Get a puppy or something to cuddle. Planning to screw up your, your diet is better than... Uh, Feeling you know, guilty about yeah. having done it okay. unintentionally. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. And then, of course, we have an article about willpower. Um, willpower doesn't work. Here's the key to being more productive, according to neuroscience. And we will be talking about that with our patrons in the after show. Now, uh, whoever is our patron um, is uh, watching us right now. You're going to be getting an invite uh, in the Discord room which discord is free for everyone to join uh however we have special super secret rooms for patrons only and uh there will be a you link have to bomb the wall to get into them yes <laughs> <laughs> that's from zelda sorry <laughs> the secret rooms you know if they're a little it happens it's, it's great yeah there you go yeah. That's exactly what happens. Um, so yeah, you have to uh, you have to smash all, all the pottery and uh, bomb through the wall. And... <laughs> That's how you get into super secret room in Discord. Yep, and uh, we'll be getting um, our patrons in through a Patreon post directly with the link, as well as Discord. And uh, if you are not yet a patron, go ahead and become one. I highly suggest uh, checking out a tier called Challenger. It is the one that directly supports this um, podcast and allows us to make more of it. You get other goodies along with it. Of course, um, if you want higher tiers, there's even more awesome rewards. However, word of advice, word of warning, uh, hardcore tier is the reason it's called that. Things start getting naked after the hardcore tier. Um, challenger tier is mostly lewds, non-nudes, your, 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 your virgin eyes are going to be safe, um, your wife's not going to be mad, it's, it's all pretty much, well, can't guarantee that, no, I can't guarantee that, um, it's all pretty much, you know, PG-13, um, maybe NC-17 sometimes, but, uh, once you get into hardcore mode, it's all nude, all not safe work all the time, so, that's that. And we are now going to go into a patron after show. Uh, eventually, I would like to record these. I just realized I can have an unlisted hangout with patrons so that other patrons can rewatch that. Awesome. In December, starting in December, um, we're going to be doing that. So get your buttholes ready for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lube up. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Starting next month. <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> You're gonna have some replays some available. Hardcore replays. All the all the the, the 
something. I don't know. <laughs> Challenger replays, not quite hardcore. But okay. unfortunately, I actually can't have hardcore replays because it's an unlisted YouTube video and they're not so cool with nudity. Um, uh, not mine anyway. So, but, but Challenger, since I'm mostly clothed during these, uh, it's all good. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing starting in December. We're going to have Galileo in there and take off his collar and advertise it as naked pussy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, so, all right. Uh, thank you very much for listening and being active participants. Uh, feel free to support the podcast uh, directly by joining Patreon or support each individual stream by donating to Streamlabs and have your comments read out loud if you do that. We are aiming to have bi-monthly cherry stems uh ideally every week um we're still working up to that uh, haven't quite hit our patreon goal for that but that's okay we're we'll doing probably that have anyway to not do three hour long ones <laughs> yes that's probably the case uh we got we got into this this fasting thing for 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 quite a bit longer than i expected but i enjoyed it so um hopefully you did too uh, <laughs> and we will see you all in the after show and thank you for watching good night